Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. NMLS number 65084. Equal housing lenders. Woo! Today's episode of What Happened When Monday with Tony Schiavone is brought to you by brandnewhouse.com. Of course, we've been telling you for the last few weeks about how you can get your very own brand new house with as little as just $500 down. And the great thing about a brand new house is not only is it new, it's custom to you. So you get to pick where it is and what it looks like from the color of the brick to the flooring, the countertops, the kitchen cabinets, the door handles, the paint, whatever. It's all your choice at brandnewhouse.com. You can also own your very own brand new house for roughly what you're paying in rent right now. And again, you don't need a down payment. You might not need a down payment at all, but many families can get a brand new house for only $500 down at brandnewhouse.com. The best part though, is everything is brand new. So there's no repairs and your new home comes with a warranty. And no matter your budget, you can own a brand new house at brandnewhouse.com. So what are you waiting for? Go to brandnewhouse.com right now.
And now, let's go to the ring. And here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? Monday on the MLW Radio Network. And Tony, it feels good to be back. We are back. We are back, Conrad Thompson. We are back. We are back. How does my voice sound this today? Okay. Oh, it sounds excellent. And, uh, people are just happy to hear you here on their ride to work on Monday. Of course, we thought last week was it, but, uh, instead we were treated to a false finish. So we're going to keep the fun going and we're doing it today with, with uh, clash of the champion six from April 2nd, 1989. Today is indeed the 29-year anniversary of that show, one of the greatest matches of all time. And, Tony, you were not there to call it, but it's not going to keep us from having fun today, is it? No, because uh, it was a great match, and it was a great match that was inserted, and I think everybody will agree with me on this, into maybe the worst produced show that I've ever seen in my life. Well, that's a hell of a tease. Hey everyone, Tony Schiavone here. Conrad and I will continue with our look at Clash of the Champions Raging Cajun in just a moment. I want to tell you, though, I'm very excited about being a part of Major League Wrestling Fusion. It's a brand new wrestling television program that will begin airing on the BN Sports Network on Friday, April 20th. That's when we will launch Major League Wrestling Fusion. It will air Fridays at 8 o'clock, 5 o'clock Pacific, a replay 11 o'clock, 8 o'clock Pacific on BN Sports. It's part of BN Sports and their Friday Night Fury. So make sure you join us beginning on the 20th of April for Major League Wrestling Fusion. I'll be joined by my broadcast partner, Rich Bokini. Again, I'm returning to wrestling on TV beginning April 20th. Major League Wrestling Fusion. Thanks very much for your support, and we'll see you on the BN Network beginning on the 20th of April. Let's get you fired up on the WWE network right now. Pull up clash of the champions. If you're like me, you're going to want to find it in the vault and there inside the vault, you find clash of the champions and then 1989 and ta-da clash of the champions. Six is what you're looking for. Again, the date is April 2nd, 1989. And Tony, if you want to give us a countdown, I think we can, uh, leave Lois to the drinking upstairs and me and you can knock this out. All right, then. You're getting me started already, aren't you? Yes, sir. Give us a countdown, kind sir, and our listeners at home will press play when Tony says press play, and then you're going to watch along with us, and hopefully you've pressed mute so Tony and I can try to improve on perfection because JR did a one hell of a job with this, but we're going to try to have uh, have some fun today. All right, slapdicks, here we go in three, two, one, play. World Championship Wrestling. The Nature Boy Ric Flair in Chicago back on February 20th with Tommy Young, one of the referees, went down to defeat Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and young Ricky and his wife Bonnie, who we understand was really high maintenance, celebrated winning the World Championship. And now in New Orleans at the Superdome, ladies and gentlemen, an event that could not be put anywhere else but the Superdome in front of 300 people, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And the nature boy, Ric Flair, Rage and Cajun. It's time for the Clash of the Champions on Superstation TBS. Well, Conrad, take a look at what we got here. We have the Superdome. 
There's nobody in the upper deck. There's nobody in the lower bowl. There are only people at ringside. I don't know how many people were here, but we welcome you to New Orleans and Raging Cajun. And hi, everybody. It's good to be with you on this beautiful day for wrestling. I'm Jim Ross, along with Michael P.S. Hayes. Michael, take a look at what we got here. We're not even fucking lit. We don't even have... We don't Look at this, JR. We're in the fucking dark. You would think a big company like this would be able to afford lights to put on me, Michael PSAs. That's exactly right, Michael PSAs. It is dark here. We are going to have five title matches, many of those that you will not see on this version of the Clash of the Champions. <laughs> However, we do want to let you know that we had some of the old motherfuckers in pro wrestling that were here earlier in the week. And we had a chance to our cameras to follow along. Hopefully, the video here will be a little bit better lit than this stand-up. There you see Terry Funk, and there you see Ricky Steamboat. Luthez! Luthez is here, the uh, of course, uh, the curator of the uh, press, the Thez Press. And there is Sam Munchnick being helped out by Gene Kaninsky. And my God, Pat O'Connor is alive. And he is making his way here. Ricky Steamboat had dinner with all these old fucks, and they told Ricky, we're really concerned about the way the business is going. And why should they be concerned? They should be concerned because of this man, Jim Hurd. Let's hear from Jim Hurd right now here on the Clash of the Champions. Thank you very much. A couple of things that I wanted to say about being here on Clash <laughs> of the Champions. A couple of my gimmicks, like the ding-dongs. <laughs> Sam Munchnick didn't like that. Buddy Rogers would shake his head, say, what the fuck are we doing? I like the ding-dongs. There's uh, 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 Luthez, and my God, even Dory Funk, who doesn't even realize he's here, is here. Some of the great champions are here, but regardless of that, I like the ding-dongs. Hey, Sam, I'm going to fuck up the business. Yes, sir, buddy. Thumbs up, I'm going to fuck up the business. Anyway, uh, I like the ding-dongs. I also said we should have a hunchback, a goddamn hunchback. And a hunchback would be a guy that have this hump on his back and the key is, you couldn't pin him. I would have given it. I thought it would be great. Also, I thought we should have a character called Long John Silver. Long John Silver would be a guy that would unscrew his leg and then hit the motherfucker over the head with it, screw it back on, the referee wouldn't, wouldn't see it, and he would get down for a one, two, three. Even have the goddamn parrot stay right on his shoulder. How about that? We would sew the motherfucker on there. But more than that, all right, well, thank God we cut that motherfucker off. Uh, we got a lot of great matches coming up here. We have in this gigantic building that has held Super Bowls, uh, national championships, we have had we have 342 people here. Can you imagine <laughs> that back somewhere in Stanford? Here? Yeah, yeah, here. Can you imagine somewhere back in Stanford, Connecticut, Tony Schiavone is fucking laughing at us, thinking, my God, thank God I got away from that fucking shit. Absolutely. Well, you had to work it out for you there, man. Here Woo. we see a, uh, a preview of, uh, I guess what's to come some great NWA action here. We've got Dr. Death, the road warriors, of course, Dan Spivey stings in this package as well. Uh, Ranger Ross, there's some, there's some misses here in WCW. There goes old school board giving everybody the business. Yeah. What do you mean? You don't like your bus stop for your kid. Ah, bam. Uh, and then, of course, Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. Uh, you know, Conrad, uh, again, I, I, I did not watch this event. Sure. Uh, and uh, because I was living in Stanford or living up in Connecticut at that time. But as I look at it, 
did the, the WWE cut off some matches or did they promote some matches that never did happen? No, this network version uh, is cut short. You guys actually did this to go head to head with WrestleMania five, I believe. They did um, this. Yeah. So this would have been something that they were trying to do to maybe counter program what WrestleMania five had to offer. And you guys had done it uh, the year prior in 1988 with the very first clash of the champions. And that went head to head with WrestleMania four. And you guys had a great success there. You essentially made sting a player. And so one year later, the thought is, well, Hey, let's replicate it. And if they're going to do WrestleMania at Trump Plaza, let's do a big building here and make ours a big event. And we're going to do it at the Superdome. Now, of course the Superdome holds like 76,000 people. And there's a a little over 5,000 people here for this show. It does get a 4.3 rating on TBS. And it's really being used to build the Wrestle War 89 pay-per-view from Nashville on May 7th. And I think most people remember this little run here from February to May for the classic trilogy that people still talk about to this day, Ric Flair versus uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I don't understand. Now, we've come to the end of this package. Boy, that was a long package, don't you? Well, here we go. Okay. Uh, Jim Murdoch just told us he wanted the goddamn Candyman to come out, but we're not going to have... Brad Armstrong come out as the candy man. I can see uh, people that I know in the stands. Uh, we have 5,000 attendants, 4,000 given away. And let's go back to the ring and Gary Michael Capetta. Well, take a look at that shot there, uh, Conrad. Really poorly lit. I mean, I know that we talked about this uh, earlier this week and you were really disappointed in the production aspect. But I think the reason they're lighting it so poorly is to camouflage the fact that fucking no one is here. You know, you're, right. you're only about 72,000 shy of capacity. Oh, 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 wait a minute. We got the national anthem. Are we allowed to talk over the national anthem? I mean, we can't hear the national anthem, so I okay, don't think it necessarily so, counts. Yeah, so, yeah, let's just bullshit through this. Yeah, I agree. You know, again, Keith Mitchell was uh, in, really in charge of production this time, and we all know that Keith is one of the top production guys in wrestling. So Keith probably had his, had his work cut out for him here in trying to light this building to make it look decent, but Hey, uh, the laser lights look pretty cool. Don't they? I mean, listen, there's nobody here, but we got fucking lasers. I mean, I don't (laughs) understand how they're able to justify the budget here for the silly pyrotechnics that they're running the, the, the laser package. And then we're going to see some just unbelievable entrance packages later, especially when you consider that there's only 5,000 folks here. And I got to tell you as an adult, it is a little disappointing because I really want to believe that not only were these matches with Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat the greatest matches of all time, but they were huge events. And in reality, that wasn't necessarily the case. I mean, even though 5,000 people is one heck of a house, Ring of Honor is going to have 5,000 people at their WrestleMania weekend show. And it's a big deal to have that many people at a non-WWE show. But here in a giant building like this, it has to be kind of fucking depressing, does it not? Oh, it really has to be. And, uh, again, you know, uh, I didn't watch this event living in Connecticut, but we all heard about it and we all laughed about it because of the numbers of people that they failed to put in the building. Uh, and that was the arrogance of being in the WWE at that time. Uh, another thing you got, you got to remember is that here we are, uh, back in uh, 1989 and production here in 2018, Conrad has been so spectacular with the entrances and the money they put into it. So anything that you go back and look at even lacks something, even the, 
Even the WWF stuff from back then even lacked some things compared to what they have now. Uh, so you, you got to kind of take it somewhat with a grain of salt because of what we're used to. Uh, candy man. They're, they're chanting candy man at, at ringside already. Uh, uh, what'd you think of, uh, you watched this show earlier this week without, yeah. you know, w- without, uh, mute on. So you were able to hear some commentary. What'd you think of Michael Hayes's first outing here? I, I thought it was okay. Uh, I, I thought, uh, Michael was just about as good as anybody they could stick in there to be a commentator. You know, you and I both know Michael very well. We know he's full of shit. And you want to get someone who is really full of shit at, at times to be your color man. So I thought he was okay. Uh, I, I, th- I thought it's amazing that uh, you see Michael now that he obviously, since that time, has been sucking on an air hose. Uh, One of the things I really enjoyed is, is the stand-up part when we first started with JR and Michael Hayes. Because Jim Ross is coming to you very professional, as he always would. and He's trying to hype it up, and he's using his JR voice and... Man, we've got a big uh, action-packed card for you tonight. And then when it's Michael Hayes' turn to talk, he's, That's right, JR, let me tell you something. And it's like, whoa, you're not doing a wrestler promo here, dude. Calm down. Well, they wanted the free bird, right? They wanted Michael Hayes. Well, they got him that night. Hey, one of the things I want everybody to pay attention to here is the greatness that is Tommy Young. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Tommy besides the silly make-believe story of him and the Barbarian. By the way, Tommy Young, still the number one shirt over at LowellsRules.com. Go pick up a shirt, and eventually, Tony's going to call you, and stay tuned later in the show. We're going to talk about that. But I want you to appreciate the greatness of Tommy Young as a referee. A lot of times as wrestling fans, we really focus on the action. We don't pay very much attention to the referee. You're going to get a lot of opportunity to see Tommy Young do his thing and maybe why he was arguably the greatest referee of all time. One thing that Tommy Young, and I brought this up about referee. Hello, sweetheart. wonder how old they are now. Pick up and a scoop slam. One thing I've always brought up about referees that makes them great is that the reaction, facial reaction, body language to what is going on in the ring. And Tommy Young was the best at that. You know, he would make sure, as you can see, that the other guy gets out. He would turn back to the action when there would be a high spot. See how he would do? His facial reaction, the way he would get down. And athletically, Tommy Young was athletically as good as anybody in the ring because of the way he could hop around and jump around and slide in and make a count. It's it's really easy to see the influence that Tommy Young had on referee Charles Robinson. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, I think it's. I think he's had an influence on every referee since then, and I think most referees, like wrestlers now, appreciate the nostalgia, appreciate the history of wrestling, and and I think referees that you see now, uh, especially guys who are in independent wrestling, they watch this stuff. They've watched Tommy Young. And see how Tommy Young checks the hold, a screen by Paulie dangerously, and Tommy kind of turns his head, and now Cornette's running around, and he gets involved in that. Let's also pay some attention here to Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette is getting major heat, uh, with the crowd. The crowd's getting riled up. They're paying attention to everything that he's doing. And you also see one of the other more underrated managers of all time, Paulie dangerously. Of course, these days we know him as Paul Heyman, but man, this Paulie dangerously character with the cell phone and the whole gimmick from this era, this really had an impression on me as a kid. Well, it should have because, I mean, go back and think about the great managers in the business and, and Paul E. And, and Jim Cornette are on that list. And, and Jim Cornette had some serious heat in this territory, being the Mid-South Territory one time. So the fans knew him very well. And he was very active in the ring. And he was very active 
you know, Jim Cornette and Paulie dangerously approached the match as if the match was real, as if that they were, you know, they were into it, that they were talking about strategy, that they were also coaching their guys in the corner. So they both were very good at what they did, and and, and they were they were both very obnoxious, not only uh, on their promos and ringside, but in real life, they were both very obnoxious. So it was very easy, uh, very easy, really, to uh, for them to be heels. Uh, it's also of note here that Fatu, one of the members um, of the Samoan SWAT team that you're seeing here, take on the Midnight Express right there, the fellow in the ring. Uh, who's tagging out. That's going to be Rikishi one day. Uh, who would have ever imagined that Rikishi would go on? I mean, that this character that we're seeing here would go on to be one of the more iconic characters from the hot period of WWE. And, and it's all based on his ginormous ass and rubbing it in someone's face. Who would have thought? I know. How about that? And how about how the, uh, the, the Samoan family in pro wrestling has developed or has had so many guys, so many different generations become fine wrestlers. The Usos now who are in the WWE, there are guys that we have seen in major league wrestling who are, are, are part of that Samoan uh, uh, family and generation. It's just, it really is amazing. It really is. You know, I, I saw Rikishi at a, at an autograph signing a number of years ago and I had, uh, I talked to him and he was talking about being a member of the Samoan SWAT team. And I said, well, you know what? That's kind of when I wasn't there, but I do remember. Uh, and you're right. He became so iconic and, uh, they, they are as tough as they can be, man. One of the things I always really enjoyed about Polly dangerously, and I even recognized this as a kid is sometimes he had the saved by the bell, Zach Morris special, the brick phone, the Gordon gecko. And then other right. times he had a fucking cordless phone. Like my grandma. <laughs> right it's just amazing like right you know the in my head i'm thinking man he ain't picking up nobody out there that shit ain't 900 megahertz <laughs> no it's no it's not but when he had the big brick phone you knew that probably it's going to get involved in the finish some way right absolutely yeah he had a great he got a great uh mullet at that time too uh that he has obviously since lost you know what's fun too is i think you know time is just a funny thing and we always like to talk about you know, how fascinating time is. And I guess maybe that's just me, but you look at, you know, this is 1989 here. And we, we think of Paul Heyman as being, you know, an older guy because we're used to seeing him on TV now and he's only 52, but he just feels like he's been around a long time and blah, blah, blah. So as a kid, you just assume everyone's much older. Paul Heyman's 24 years old here. Wow. 24 years old, 24 years old here. I mean, how crazy is that? And of course, uh, he, uh, you know, the four, the, the developer, I guess the owner of ECW. So he had a profound impact in the business and good for him that he has stayed in the business as long as he stayed in it. And Jim Cornette, again, another guy we just, and, and I'm saying this from a place as someone who's what, seven years old when this match is happening, eight wow. years old when this eight years old, when this match is happening, you wow. just assume when you see an adult, you're like, oh, they're much older. Jim Cornette's only 28 here. So you've got yeah. two of the all-time greats on the outside of the ring when they're just 24 and 28 years old. The idea that a manager comes in and really sets the territory ablaze the way these two guys did everywhere they went is almost unheard of in 2018 to be 24 and at the top of your game as a manager on TV. One thing that made him at the top of their game, and I'm especially talking about Cornette because I, I'm, I'm not so sure, to be honest with you, and I'm sorry about this, of the of 
of Paulie Dangerously's storyline leading up to us. But I know that Jim Cornette worked a lot of old school territories, so he knew how to work crowds. And that was a big education for wrestlers and managers back then, Conrad, to be able to go out to the territories, to travel overnight, to travel with the boys, to be able to work up the crowds, pound on the mat if he need be. Uh, and they both learned that old school style. And, and I think that's that may be one of the reasons you don't see many managers today, especially in the WWE, because they just do not have the education to be able to be a manager. Well, it's a television product now, too. So what you're seeing Jim Cornette do right now would never happen on WWE because on WWE, they don't ever put their back to this side. You know, by design, they leave this front portion facing the hard cam blank and they work the other three sides. You'll almost never see a referee turn his back to that side and you almost never see a manager there. They always work the other three sides. But this at the time was a different business. This is very much in the live event business where we're selling tickets and sure we're on TV, but we're, we haven't really catered our product to be all for TV. Like all of our revenue is not really tied to TV these days. You don't need the managers to work the crowd as much because it's a television product. Well, that's true. But also back then in 1989, I'm working for the WWE and they even knew that back then, right? So they were ahead of their time production-wise, knowing it was still an arena business back then. But for television, you had to make sure that Jim Cornette was not with his back to the cast. See, Vince McMahon back in 89 wouldn't have let that happen. He, so would, never let, he would never let this shot happen. That wide no, shot right. where you could see the first five rows underneath the hard cam, that would never happen. Exactly. Or you see Tommy Young and how athletic he is sliding over making it count and making sure one of the Samoan SWAT team back to where he belongs. No, you're right. He wouldn't have allowed that to happen. And, and not only that, this is, uh, we talked about it being dark. This match is, is, is very dark as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's as if the, the ring lights on the near side are dipped down They're They're in the light on the far side here, as you can see, or in the middle of the ring. But when they get close, look at Stan Lane, the left, he's in the dark. So, it has. I, I love. I love just ripping on this shit. It has an old, um, an old school like house show feel to it, which I kind of like. I know you don't like it, but I actually like when the crowd's not lit. And I know it doesn't come off well on TV, but it makes it feel more authentic to me. Yeah. Okay. There's there's something to be said about that. But in this era, you got to keep up with the Joneses, or Vince McMahon's going to drive in the ground, which he eventually did. Of course, in the corner being worked over right now, Huntsville's own beautiful Bobby Eaton. Um, do you have any fun Bobby Eaton stories? I feel like he's one of the more underrated workers. We've covered a lot of his matches here, but you haven't shared a lot of fun Bobby Eaton stories with us over the well, years. Well, he, he and Arn Anderson were very good friends, uh, very close because they, they both, uh, moved to, uh, Pineville, North Carolina, which is outside of Charlotte, which is right on the South Carolina border. It is a, uh, it is a bedroom community or uh, of, of Charlotte, North Carolina, a very nice place to live. So they were like neighbors. I, I, they may have lived in the same neighborhood. I'm not sure. But uh, Bobby Eaton, uh, two things about him. Number one, he was a generous man. Anytime, and this was well known in the business, anytime Bobby Eaton would see someone outside of a convenience store who was asking for money, Bobby Eaton would go in his pocket and give that guy money and also talk to him, ask him how he was doing, make sure he got something to eat. 
He was just that generous and kind guy. And that's something that no one really knew about him. Uh, but he was just uh, just a wonderful guy. Uh, Arn Anderson, who was one of the great rivers of all time, or can one of the great promos, would, all, would always say, he said, well, the Eaton family grew up behind the nuclear plant uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, where they make the rockets. And uh, all the Eatons have three ears and three eyes and knots out of their head and everything. And Bobby's the one that came out looking okay, but he can't talk. And he would always, <laughs> <laughs> he would always cut that promo about the, about the Eaton family and how the nuclear plant, which uh, there's no nuclear plant, I know, but Arn would, would set it up like that, uh, how the nuclear plant in Huntsville, Alabama uh, deformed the Eaton family. So it was funny. And, and of course, Bobby, Bobby really ne never had any comeback because Bobby was a kind of a quiet guy. That's why he never talked. He didn't know how. Uh, I saw Bobby a couple of years ago um, and walked up behind him and grabbed him, put my arm around him, and he uh, yanked away from me like uh, he didn't know who I was. And I don't think he's doing well. I'm not sure. But he wasn't that day. And I'm, I think his health has declined, which is horrible to say because you're looking at one of the great workers and great performers. And I think I've told this story before, too. When I used to ring announce at the Omni and the and the uh, they would uh, wrestle, the Midnight Express would wrestle, Bobby would always do this spot to where he would tumble down towards our table and I would hop up and run away and he would come up to me and grab me and say, push me. And I would push, me, push him and he'd take a bump for me. Uh, which I, it would get a pop, and I always thought, well, that's cool, but, you know, you shouldn't let an old fat announcer push you down, right, if you're one of the top wrestling stars in the world. I've always felt like when I see the Samoan SWAT team wrestle, there's hope for me as a wrestler, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, well, you it's, gotta... it's funny because I just recently watched WrestleMania from this era, and it's clear that, you know, the steroid policy at the time was, do more, God damn it! Uh, but... <laughs> But here it's like, no, nobody's even sniffing a drug test here. I mean, no worries, no, no worries. Yeah. But they're stopping that they're stopping at McDonald's with a case of beer. Yeah. This is going right, going right to bed. Yeah. This is the uh, old Milwaukee territory right here. Right. <laughs> That's right. This is the, Absolutely. this tour is brought to you by Paps Blue Ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Stan uh, Lane was not that way though. Stan Lane always had a phenomenal look and Stan Lane has a little bit of a legacy amongst internet wrestling fans who have said, Hey, this is the only guy that Ric Flair ever trained. Do you believe that to be true? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know the story behind that, but, uh, I would say probably. Yeah. What a you great what? spot here where the, the Samoans butt heads and then immediately come to blows with each other. Good stuff. Yeah. Also, another thing about Stan Lane very quickly, he looks phenomenal now. Have you seen him lately? No, I have not. I know last oh. I heard he was doing something with like a boating show on cable. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, yeah. He's, he is aged quite well, and he still looks very, very good. Very, very in shape uh, and uh, beautiful wife. Uh, so he's doing quite well for himself uh, in his post-wrestling days. Now, Tommy Young goes down, tells everybody a two-count. I feel like we should uh, mention here that this, uh, midnight express is my favorite version. And I know that that's blasphemous to a lot of our listeners because they grew up on Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry, but I grew up on this version. This is what I saw first. And I can certainly appreciate the old matches that Bobby and Dennis had together, but this is what I saw first. 
but no matter which version you liked the most, I encourage everyone to pick up Jim Cornette's book, uh, all about the midnight express. He's the most open that I think anybody has ever been about their run in wrestling in that book. Have you seen that book before Tony? Yeah. He, he sent me a copy. He sent me a signed copy of it. Uh, and I have it. There's a, there's, there's a great, uh, a poem that he wrote about Jim Hurd being the Grinch. Uh, that's in that book. You gotta and see it, man. He's, yeah. he's got, um, the hate mail that he received. He put in there, he put yeah. copies of old checks, old internal WCW and NWA memos, really, really fascinating stuff, including his diary and journal of what he thought the houses were and what his payoffs were for all the shows. And it chronicles the entire run of the midnight express and we can't put it over enough. And if you are interested in that, uh, Cornette's collectibles online is where you can find it. And, uh, I can't recommend it enough. I think he's still got just a few left. So go check it out. If you haven't already at jimcornette.com. Uh, one of the true greats in the business and one of the, uh, collectors in the business, you know, I used to go over to Jim's house because he lived in Pineville, North Carolina, and I lived very close to Pineville at one time. I used to go over to his apartment and we used to watch old videotapes. That's where I saw some of the classic Tupelo, uh, concession stand fights. Because he would show me those videotapes. He had videotapes of everything. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess he's transferred them all to digital by now. At least I hope he has. Because those things will end up deteriorating. I think he's he got a, it on every single version. From what I understand, and I haven't been to the castle, but apparently he has the most ridiculous wrestling shrine of all time. Like a library that would be, you know, second to none. So he adored the business. He loved the business. He grew up in the business as a photographer. And that's why he became one of the most successful ones in the business. Yeah. It's Very no, opinionated. It's, it's no, uh, it's no secret that nobody loved the business quite like Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette. And, and we see him doing so well here at a young age at 24 and 28. If only everybody knew what was still yet to come for these guys. These guys are having a pretty good match here. The Samoan SWAT team. And the Midnight Express. It is a little old school, and it's really hard for me to decide, hey, who's supposed to be the heel here? Because I think most of us remember the Midnight Express as heels, and it's hard to imagine the Samoan SWAT team as a babyface tag team, but they're still making a pretty damn entertaining match for us here. Yeah, they are. And, and the fact that Jim Cornette had been uh, such an established star in the old Mid-South Territory, he was, uh, was kind of like they knew him and Paulie was new. So by that, they became the baby faces here in this match. This is uh, they're on their way out here. The Midnight Express were having a lot of problems with the NWA here, specifically George Scott, and they give their notice and announce that they're leaving in May. And then after Scott was fired, Jr. asked Jim and the Express to stay, but they'd already taken some bookings for Bill Dundee, which was Bobby Eaton's father-in-law. Uh, so they decided to uh, take a few months off and then renegotiate a new contract. And, um, that contract has been one we've talked about a lot in our archives, but it certainly feels like the NWA, if you've got the midnight express involved, does it not? Oh yeah. It, it, it's, it is vintage NWA stuff. It really is. There's a double head, but it, it is vintage NWA. Uh, going back to one other thing, uh, and not to say anything bad about Stan Lane because he was a tremendous performer, but I always liked Dennis Condry's version of the midnight express as well because that's what i started with right that's the first those are the first guys i stuck the microphone in front of so i always liked them as well originally these guys were making two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars here uh and then they have to go meet with uh, jim hurd and 
Cornette handles the meeting on behalf of the team and they agree mm. to take a cut, but Hurd offers them 75,000 a piece and Cornette a hundred because he also had to do commentary and Cornette commented. That's not a cut. That's an amputation. Cornette wanted 150,000 each for the boys. And, uh, they just went back and forth. Eventually Hurd says, Jim, I'll give you 150, but I'm giving them 125, And that's the final offer. The guys agreed to stay and they signed the new contract on May 15th and then come back for the tag title tournament. Business is, um, is booming for the WWF, but not so much for the NWA here. And there's the finish of the match. Uh, all of a sudden it looks like the Samoan SWAT team get the win, which has to be, you know, standard operating procedure. If you know, the midnights are on their way out, right? Yeah, it is standing operating procedure in, in, uh, in the mind, of course, of George Scott. So you're telling me that the Midnight Express had to take a $100,000 pay cut, right? Each. Rocket oh, launcher yeah. here, Stan Lane, throwing beautiful Bobby off the top for the big splash. And as he makes the cover, Tommy's distracted, yep. trying to get Stan Lane out. And here sneaks in Fatu. Wham! On the back of the head with the phone. You knew it was coming. The old switcheroo here. Tommy Young's going to turn around just in time for the one, two, three. And there's your winner, the Samoan SWAT team. Tommy Young doing such a great job of sending Stan Lane back, but being able to use his peripheral vision to keep an eye on what was going on. Great timing. All right. What's coming up next in this piece of shit show there, Conrad? Well, it's, it's the great Muda, and he's got one hell of an opponent. You're not ready for what you're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. It's Scott Casey. Scott Casey. If you go back and listen to the commentary, I thought JR did a hell of a job of uh, trying to uh, present Scott Casey as a worthy opponent. But what we a, just got a job match here, basically. What a cool entrance this is, though, especially at the time. I don't think it's nearly what uh, they thought it was, but they're trying. God damn it. Gary Hart and, um, the great Muda here with a lightning bolt effect behind him. And all of my wrestling friends were fascinated with the great Muda, you know, and there's always, we all have that one friend who like has the, uh, Bruce Lee DVD set and he's got a fucking samurai sword in his bedroom and doesn't have like a bed frame for his mattress. He just has a mattress on the floor because that's what they do in Japan. We all have that one weird friend like that. Well, yeah. my, my weird friend like that thought great Muda was the greatest wrestler of all time. Well, he was ahead of his time. He really was. I mean, he was almost like, he was almost like a combination of, uh, a ninja <laughs> <laughs> and a luchador. Don't you think? Well, I mean, I get what you're saying with uh, luchador because he is wearing, you know, a mask. Of course it's a mask of paint instead, but, um, he, his, the impact on his moves is what still stands out to me. Obviously he's trying to do uh, some mystique and I think people maybe look back at this and think, oh, this is kind of silly, but you've got to remember in this era in the eighties, Kung Fu movies were fucking huge on VHS. Were they not? Oh my God. Oh not only huge on VHS, well, uh, I'm talking about even before then, back right, back in, let's say, the early 80s, late 70s, we used to go to the drive-ins and watch double features kung fu movies. Somehow I called um, Steve Casey, Scott Casey. My mistake. Turns out nobody fucking cares. That, that's right. 
And, and again, you have this, and you have a, uh, and 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 you have uh, a, a job match here, and yeah, phenomenal look though, right? I mean, how fun is this? At the time, you have to appreciate, you know, the it was a different time in America, and just an entertainment. So people felt a certain way about Japanese wrestlers because it had been the stereotypical bullshit where. Oh, it's the sneaky wrestler. And there was even a term in wrestling. Oh, he Pearl harbored him whenever you attack someone from behind. Of course you could never do that today, but that was sort of what was happening in the era. And so automatically anyone Japanese was a heel, right? Tony. Sure. You know, the, the term uh, Pearl Harbor is kind of still used today. And there's the myth that everyone is so, um, fond of and, and probably most identifiable and Muda's not the first one to do it, you know, and, and do this whole mist gimmick, but he is arguably, uh, the one that most of our listeners remember the most, because this is what we grew up on. Who's the first character in wrestling. You remember doing mist the great Kabuki. I think most would say that, you know, just a generation before here, but Muda as part of his presentation with the, uh, the entrance, the moonsault, the handspring elbow. here we go. Signature move there from the great Muda. The mist was an impressive part of the package. Uh, tell everybody at home how the mist was produced. I think most people know, but some of our listeners may not have heard exactly how that goes down. From what I remember uh, and what I was told, it was basically green powder, a, a green powder substance that was put in the mouth. Now, what exactly constituted the powder? I don't know. Can you enlighten me on what you've read or what you've heard? Well, the rumor and innuendo is that a lot of times it was just food coloring. Okay. And, uh, they would either carry it in their mouth and some guys would actually put it in a little balloon or, uh, right. a condom and then bite into it and then boom, it's released and you're good to go. So, uh, that's sort of the idea is a lot of times it was just food coloring. Uh, but it's always been fascinating to me. And of course, you know, we're little kids, so we're buying into this shit in a big way. So we wonder, Hey, is the red mist something different than the green mist? Of course, that's silly shit now as an adult, but as a kid, it's like, oh, that red mist must be the shit, man. <laughs> uh, I got a story about uh, Muda up about, top here, teasing yeah. that he's going to go to the floor. Gary Hart throws him back in. Muda turns around and drop kick off the top. Muda could do anything, man. Could he not? Oh, he could do anything. I, he could. He could fly. Uh, he could have a great match on the uh, on on the mat. Uh, Gary Hart was also the manager of Kabuki. Back right. when I was watching wrestling back in the day. So Gary was very familiar with the green mist and, and, uh, you know, we, we talk so much about Cornette and, uh, and Paulie dangerously. I don't, we should give props to Gary Hart as well, who has since passed away. Yeah. Gary Hart has one of the most popular and hard to find autobiographies about wrestling ever. Uh, and it's something that if you can find a copy, it usually goes for hundreds of dollars. There are a couple of bootleg PDFs floating around on your Google machine, but it's one of the most sought after wrestling books ever. And, uh, probably the favorite of your great friend, Mr. Court Bauer. Have you had conversations with court about Gary Hart over the years? Uh, yes, I have. Gary Hart was one of the, was instrumental in court Bauer's career. Uh, also I can remember a time that, uh, this was back, uh, early eighties, back when I first started. And we were doing the interviews back in the in the old in the old Crockett garage, and and Doug Dellinger came in and had a meeting with the boys, and told the boys, guys, uh, we don't want any of you guys 
to be caught drunk driving. So I'm going to tell you, you, you do what you want to do because you're grown men, but after the matches, don't drink, don't have beer, and drive to the next town. And Gary Hart, I remember Gary Hart saying, and he said it to where everybody could hear it. He said, I understand what you're saying, but there's absolutely no way, fucking no way, the boys are not going to have a beer after a match. It's absolutely impossible. I don't know why that stuck with me, but I think it was because Gary was very vocal uh, to Doug Dellinger and during that meeting that time that uh, that he spoke up. So never will forget that. I wonder, isn't it funny how things stick with you from back then? It is funny, you know, because you never yeah. know exactly what the memories are going to be, but I've got uh, a lot of wrestling ones as well. And, and probably the most prominent one for Muda is the moonsault. Is he the first guy you saw do a moonsault? Yes. Yes, he is. He may not have been, but it's the first moonsault that had an impact on me. You know, it's, um, it's hard to imagine that that's such an innovative move. And I know a lot of younger fans are probably watching this and saying, what's the big fucking deal? Like the guys in NXT are doing much bigger shit than this. And I get it. But at the time, this was really innovative. And Muda had just debuted on TV on like the March 18th episode of Saturday night. So two or three weeks prior to this. So this is the first time a lot of people are seeing him and some of the spots that he's doing and the mist and all the craziness. And not too long after this, he's going to win the television title from sting and then go on a very long undefeated streak, which lasts until December at Starcade, where Ric Flair is the first guy to beat him. So mood is getting one heck of a push here in 89. I, I need to say something about what you just said. And I think we're kind of saying the same thing. Uh, Everybody does moonsaults. Everybody does high spots now. Everybody does what used to be finishing maneuvers as high spots. Look, they mean nothing anymore. Back then, this meant something. Muda's moonsault meant something because he was the only one who did it. If 100 people do a moonsault, it gets lost in the shuffle. If one guy does it, and one guy does it so effective like Muda, it sticks with you. And, and I think it's something that, uh, and I know wrestling has changed. I, I get it. And, you know, I'm doing uh, Major League Wrestling now, uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about here on this broadcast when we're going to first be on the air. But it's just the, the wrestling business has changed, and I'm not so sure that everything in the wrestling business has changed for the better. Love that right there. Great Muda just nopes him right out of the way. Uh, Casey goes up for a drop kick. Muda just swats it away. It's so fun to watch some of this stuff from nearly 30 years ago and be like, man, they were doing that all the way back then. Because these days, whenever you see somebody swat a drop kick away, it gets lots of props online. Moodle was doing that shit 29 years ago. Sure. He was watch this. How many people did that? Yeah. That's a great, that's a great call, man. To springboard yourself or slingshot yourself from the inside out to the floor onto your opponent pretty common now you see it almost every monday and tuesday on network television but back in these days nobody was doing that and this is the i know you called this a job match but i would challenge and we'll check out this move here yeah i handspring back elbow one of the signature moves from great mode and he does it on the floor while this may have been a, a quote-unquote job match it was an excellent way to showcase one of your new stars and really help get great mood over I, I think a lot, we have to uh, give some props to Casey on this for taking that uh, that uh, 
inside out splash that time. Yeah. We were having fun with Casey. Check out the moonsock. Wow. You know, it's coming one, two, three, great Muda Casey here, uh, doing his best to make Muda look good. And Casey himself looks like the wrestler of the day. I mean, as far as just physique wise, I think if you were, you know, uh, new to the great Muda and didn't really understand the business and you just saw these two guys standing side by side, you might say, oh, that guy's going to fucking eat that Japanese dude up. Look at him. Very impressive showing for great Muda here. Give us a call here, Tony. Here's the moonsault one more time. Casey is positioned perfectly. Fans at ringside really not buying it yet, but they'll buy it here in a minute. Look at the leg spring and the connect here. Even in the world of wrestling, that was a legit move. That's one of those things to where you go and you say, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, but that fucking moonsault was fucking real. Wow. As he used to say, the great fucking Muda, right? The great fucking Muda. Check him out. And of course, he's went on to have one hell of a career. And we're being reminded here that Wrestle War 89 with the banjo uh, is coming. <laughs> it's the Music City Showdown. It's on pay per view on May 7th. And you guys were running pay per views a lot earlier back then. It started at 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, which I've always been fascinated by the way it, it was once upon a time not appointment television. Like these days, you know, raw is the same time every week. The pay-per-view is the same time every week. You guys sort of moved it around a little bit before settling in on Sunday night at 8 PM Eastern. Well, five o'clock around that time was also around super bowl time that time. Uh, so early, early Sunday afternoons would, would kind of be the norm. Here comes the dun, 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 dun. I guess That's the deal good look here. I, yeah, I, I really like it. And I think this is like, um, is this called a second line? I know if you get married in new Orleans, they do a second line parade from your wedding to your reception. Is that what this, is that what they're trying to recreate here for JYD? I, I don't have the answer to that. Uh, this is what I always thought was the procession for a funeral. Well, JYD's <laughs> career was, uh, was certainly bit certainly <laughs> on its last legs here. Uh, yeah, of course, was. JYD was the top star. Uh, and I don't know, sometimes people look back at these and they say, why is this fucking JYD match on here? Well, because JYD once ran new Orleans, man, when Bill Watts had this territory really, really hot, he was on top and the major draw, the major draw, he was the Hulk Hogan to this era, if you will. And. One of the other reasons that Michael P.S. Hayes is the announcer is not just because he can talk that shit, but because of his feud with JYD. And you even see uh, Hayes turn around to make sure he's keeping an eye on the dog because they did a blinding angle that eventually drew some of the best houses they ever did here at the Superdome. And it's funny that just a few short years later, JYD is still on the inside. And on the outside, calling his match is Michael P.S. Hayes. What a small world wrestling can be. And, of course, uh, you know, we were talking about that right there, Conrad, and you missed it. Uh, but uh, Klondike Bill is at ringside as well. Diane Keith is the blonde who is the uh, manager, and Klondike Bill was there ringing the bell. Well, so there you go. Yeah. Pay attention, boys and girls. I'm sure we'll see Klondike here again in a few minutes. And, by the way, there's a hall, another Hall of Famer in the ring. Peanut head. Woo -hoo, holla, holla. 
Holla, holla. <laughs> let me tell you something, Tony Schiavone. Let me tell you something, Tony Schiavone. Homie, don't play that. And you know what I mean. I love that. That's still your takeaway from any t- anything with Teddy Long. Homie, don't play well, I, that. I, just, I used to, used to, we used to do promos like all day, you know. But and I used to hold the microphone, and he stood it up. He said, "Homie, don't play that, Tony Schiavone." And you know what I mean. He used to walk off. Pretty fun match here that we're putting together, especially for New Orleans. It may not be exactly what the fans at home are hoping for, but as far as the live crowd match, booking JYD against Butch Reed when both of these guys were big stars in Mid South. Makes a lot of sense. And that's the reason Butch Reed's getting the star treatment here with the pyro, his name and lights. Notice they spelled his name perfectly. R E E D. <laughs> and, uh, he's being brought to the ring by hero Matsuda. So chat me up here, Tony. What the fuck is hero Matsuda doing with Butch Reed? Well, hero Matsuda is here because they want to work a, some sort of connection, an alliance, a business deal with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and they thought having Hiro Matsuda come to the ring and be a part of this would be very, very important. And you also know, earlier on, we saw that they were they were trying to, as best they could, celebrate the legacy of the NWA. Uh, so the Hiro Matsuda was part of that, and so they just brought his ass to the ring. I mean, they used Hiro Matsuda a lot. Dusty did back in the eighties. Butch Reed here, uh, obviously super over from the old mid South era. And he's done a little bit of bouncing around the rumor and innuendo is that he was supposed to be the intercontinental champion in the WWF, but he no showed and he lost his opportunity to because of it. And eventually the run went to honky tonk man. Did you ever have a conversation with Butch Reed about what went wrong in the WWF? Uh, you know what? I, I did talk to him about being in the WWF because I came back, uh, and, and they were doomed, but we didn't talk that much about it. And he was, he was kind of a, a quiet guy as far as going into details about what is going on and, and what had happened. Uh, I don't know. Did you ever hear the story? Why he no showed? He never did really come up. And say anything about that or no, admit I'm not, to it. I'm not sure why he no showed, but I do know that the rumor and innuendo is that Ricky Steamboat was unhappy and wanted to leave. So instead, they were going to have him drop the belt to Butch Reed. Butch Reed no show. So Honky got the spot. And wow. uh, the rest, as they say, is history. He went on to be the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. And Butch Reed uh, went to uh, sell punches for JYD in the Superdome instead. Yeah, here's here's the deal. Butch Reed was Butch Reed was known uh, as at times a very difficult guy to deal with business-wise. He was not that way in the backstage area with us. Very calm, cool, collected and a very friendly guy. But he was also known as a, a guy to do very tough to do business with. So that could have been part of it. JYD was um some would say affectionately and some would say not so much referred to as the junk food dog by Dave Meltzer. Do you have a response to that? Yeah. Fuck Dave Meltzer. And, and I say that as a shoot. Oh, okay. We're we're escalating things as a fucking shoot. How, how dare some sort of, you know, punk who, who in his, his basement in California jacks off to Japanese wrestling would say this about the junk food dog. I'm sorry. The junkyard dog. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, what, why would he say that? 
why would he give me an answer? Give me a fucking answer why he would say something like that. Well, because, because he, he, he's trying to get himself over and he put on some weight right. and he wants to be that's funny. That's right. But yeah, I mean, okay. here's the thing though. You're saying fuck him for that. But meanwhile, we're over here, you know, Cowboys for angels and then up. So, I mean, Meltzer's well, doing the same thing okay. we're doing. All right. I, I get that. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about the era. Okay. I've been through this. I knew all these guys. I knew the backstage area. I can have a lot of fun with them if I want to. Meltzer was not in the business at all. He was on the outside. And because he wrote about it, he and that other punk, what's the other punk's name? Wade Keller. Wade Keller. Yeah. He and that other punk wrote about it. All of a sudden, they feel that they are a profound influence on the business. Just just so I'm clear, uh, you've done um, some audio stuff with Dave Meltzer, at least Brian Alvarez. Have you not? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you still, but, you know, but fuck them and all that. uh, Yeah. uh, We do not talk about Dave Meltzer at all. Okay. So you don't have a problem with Brian Alvarez. It's Dave Meltzer that really is a burr under your saddle. Yeah, it it is because I, I, I get it. I, I I didn't get it. I thought I knew back then. I thought I knew back then, but now I know and I get it now. What do you mean? if junkyard dog would have called Dave Melcher and reported oh. to him, he would have never been called junk food dog. Well, supposedly, um, allegedly the nickname came when Dave Meltzer, I believe I have this right. Dave Meltzer's buddy, or maybe Dave Meltzer himself saw JYD going to his room with like a whole bag full of, you know, candy bars yeah. and candy and right. shit like that. Sure. And okay. Allegedly, JYD knew that Meltzer was just kidding around and having a good time and hugged him when, when they actually met about the whole junk food dog thing. He thought it was pretty funny. Okay, well, good. And that's because he's a better man than me. <laughs> uh, here's a pickup in a slam. He was, a, he was not a good worker at all. It was a slow-paced match. You had to really sell for him. Uh, he was not a good worker, but uh, again... A perfect example of a guy who wasn't a good worker, but if you had a good rap, if you could talk and the fans could get behind what you were saying, you could, I mean, Dusty Rhodes, a perfect example. You could get over like hell. You know, obviously Dusty Rhodes was a much greater wrestler and a much greater talent and all that, but it almost always reminded me that JYD was almost like a, a black Dusty Rhodes in that he had this innate charisma where he could just make a face to the camera and just the way he held his his head and the way he used his words and the way he expressed himself, you just were captivated by him. And you were like, I want to watch more of this now as Bruce Pritchard would say, and then the bell rang and dusty would still entertain you, but JYD, maybe not as much, but the, the promos and the way they would deliver them, you just wanted to watch anytime they were talking, you wanted to see it. The promos are what got the fans in the building. That's what got the fan. That's, and that's the end of that. And I, I don't think uh, we have enough uh, good promos. I, I don't know. I don't know who in uh, NXT is developing promos now with the guys to move up to WWE, but it's not what it used to be, buddy. And they don't have the time to do them. They, you know, look, back in the when we first started doing uh, World Championship Wrestling in the studios back in the 80s, Ric Flair would go out, Jim Cornette would go out, J.J. Tully would go out, and Dusty would stand in the back in the control room and let them go until he thought it was time to wrap it up. And sometimes they would go two minutes. Sometimes they would go three minutes. He, Dusty would always make the call, it's time to wrap it up. 
so they were able to, as as wrestlers, they were able to freestyle and they were able to say things. And that's why the interviews were so over back then, right? People talk about the great interviews I did or with Ric Flair. I never did an interview with Ric Flair. just kind of held the microphone. But that was back when they were freestyling. They had no time. And you can even remember sometimes when Dusty would say, wrap them up, and the uh, the guy would wrap Ric Flair up, and Ric Flair would say, don't, don't wrap me up. <laughs> it was great stuff, man. That shit, starting here, that shit was lost and is really lost today. It's kind of fun as I watch this. I think a lot of people, myself included, sometimes forget that not very long after this, the referee in this match would actually be a manager for one of the guys in the match because, you know, Teddy Long's going to manage doom. And then of course, Butch Reed is going to be under a hood as one of the members of doom. And it's fun sort of watching these old shows like this. And at the time, of course, you don't know that this is going to happen this way, but it's almost like when you go back and you watch a show like breaking bad again, and you're like, oh, well shit, that makes sense. Now I didn't catch that the first time, but you catch it here and you're like, oh, okay, there you go. I know it's back in the archives. We've talked about Teddy from setting up the ring to being a, a referee, uh, to being a manager, to being a Hall of Famer. You know, Teddy's done it all. I feel like Got we should uh, last year. we should mention here too because we just sort of skipped over this. Um, Michael P.S. Hayes just celebrated a birthday. He turned fifty-nine years old this past week. Do you have a message for Michael? Yeah, you old motherfucker. Next time I give you a baseball. That has John Smoltz Hall of Fame written on it. Don't give it to your fucking dog, you dumbass. Did he really That's do really that? Exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I, I could, I got like, I don't know, five or six John Smoltz Hall of Fame baseballs. I've given to my sons. I've got one for myself, and I had another one left over. And I'll think. I know that uh, that Michael Hayes is a big Braves fan, which he is, a legit Braves fan. I'll give it to him. Uh, visited Michael at his house, as you know. Handed him that baseball. Yeah. And the very next day, he said, Denzel ate it. Oh, fuck. Are you serious? Yeah. Denzel fucking ate the baseball. No, I mean, I was there when you gave him the ball, but I didn't know that he let his dog get a hold of it. Fuck the flying fuck. I should have put it up in his room, you know, up in his his trophy room up there instead of handing it to that dumb drunk ass. But there you go. It's my fault. He should have put it. um, Never mind. Yeah. Should have put it in his fanny pack is what I should have done. Well, you know, he's sporting the doot, doot, doot fanny pack, which is available now over at brishpritchard.com. But enough about that. We need to talk about the <laughs> fine shirts over at loisrules.com because, and Tony, I don't even know that you've seen this. Have you been to loisrules.com this week yet? Uh, I have not. I was at loisrules.com at the wedding, believe it or not, on my phone at the uh, wedding reception showing everybody, hey, you want a shirt? Uh, go to loisrules.com. And I was showing them all the different things on, uh, on my phone, but I haven't been on it since then. Well, uh, up there right now, you know, you guys suggested the Shivani family at the very beginning of our wedding episode that we needed a slap Dick nation t-shirt. Well, slap Dick nation is available now at loisrules.com. Hot damn. And that's going to be a great seller. Here's the one, two, three, one, two, three. JYD gets the win. Referee gets involved inadvertently. And the junkyard dog is your winner. Teddy long race. There's Klondike bill right between them. There he is, arms crossed right Sport, between them. Sporting the headset. He's got his arms crossed because he's mad there's no women out here. But you stay tuned, Klondike. We got a real treat coming your way. Yes, we do. Uh, so LoisRules.com. I, I do want to say something about this as well. Uh, you and I talked about it. Uh, I, I get 
to me an email from ProWrestling.com with everybody's name and phone number who purchases a T-shirt, and that's how I make my calls. Well, for some reason, starting in the month of February, not every email that I got has a phone number associated to it. So you may get a uh, an email from our staff, our WCW T-shirt staff, that says, please send us your phone number. If you do, respond to that email, send us your phone number so we can make that phone call to you. It has really put me behind. It really has. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but that's just the way it is right now. And I feel like I should... Um are coming up next on Rage and Cajun. Look at there. An elbow drop from someone not named Dusty Rhodes. Dick Slater, and then all of a sudden, wait, where's Dick Slater? That's what I was what hoping you were gonna say. I was I was really excited for you to do that. So that's been cut <laughs> off the network. And instead, we've got Dan Spivey, and he's in the corner with uh, his tag team partner, Kevin Sullivan, being introduced by Gary Michael Capetta. Of course, they're here to represent the varsity club with their main man school board in the ring with them as well. Um, my favorite thing of this though, is that they're introducing that Kevin Sullivan is the games master and that he's from Singapore. How the fuck do you get a Boston accent in Singapore? (laughs) I, that this was Kevin Sullivan. He always came up with this stuff. I mean, he went from what the games master to the Taskmaster, right? Yeah, he, he wanted to be a master, that's for sure. Yeah, right. Of course, um, no longer is Rick Steiner in the Varsity Club, even though he's sporting his Michigan jacket and the headgear. Now he's part of the first family, and they are the United States Tag Champs. It's him and Eddie Gilbert, but there you go. As wow. Bruce Pritchard would say, Missy Hyatt was all the way live. Yes, she was, man. She looked great. And, of course, uh, was she married to Eddie at this time? I believe she was with Eddie here and, uh, it's interesting that they're using the name first family because first family was really, really a big deal in Memphis once upon a time. And of course, Gilbert had been through that territory and was very familiar with that. And first family can also help you with your home loan over at one FMC.com. Isn't that right, Tony? One FMC.com. Make sure you log on and, uh, be a part of my great friend, Conrad Thompson. Here's a cover one, two, three, Conrad. Believe you me, has changed my life. He can change yours. We'll help you save some money on your current loan. Of course, get you a cheaper monthly payment. And maybe the best part of the whole deal is we can even let you skip your next two house payments. So if you want to take a spring break from house payments, I'm your Huckleberry. Maybe you want to buy a house. Well, you can do it with no money down and you don't need perfect credit. And why wouldn't you want to do business with another wrestling fan? It's me. Go to onefmc.com. We're going to take great care of you. You can even talk to a live person at onefmc.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Man, Eddie Gilbert here, one of the most underrated talents of all time. I can't help but think every time I see him work, man, what could have been? Not only his contributions in the ring, but behind the scenes, he would have been phenomenal, would he not? No, oh, absolutely. Eddie had one of the great minds of the business. Not only that, he was one of the uh, he was one of the nicest guys behind the scenes. When, when I found out that Eddie Gilbert had died, and I know everybody has their own skeletons in their closet, their own dark secrets. When I found out that he had passed away, I was, I was really shocked because I thought Eddie would be a guy. I, I don't know. Would this be wrong to say that he could have been Shawn Michaels before Shawn Michaels? Yeah. I don't think there was ever going to be any competition for Shawn Michaels. Okay. But he could have been the WCW version of Shawn Michaels. 
That's a tall order uh, still. But cre- okay, cre- right, and look, and I say that because Sean is still involved, right, in wrestling today. Sure, as as a as a trainer, and Eddie could have been in that role. Oh, in in that capacity, absolutely. As yeah, far as cranking right. out five star matches at WrestleMania, probably not. Right, right. I, I agree with that, but I'm just talking about his contribution to the business both in front and behind the camera. Eddie could have been one of those. Well, Kevin Sullivan, I feel like is another guy who maybe people just talk about as far, as far as, you know, his participation in dungeon of doom. And it feels like that's what everybody online wants to talk about. But the reality is he was a hell of a draw as a heel in Florida. People wanted to see him get his ass kicked. They bought that devil worshiper shit hook, line and sinker. And, um, then he went on to be one of the creative geniuses behind nitro. Nobody knew how to book for heat like Kevin Sullivan, right? Yeah, Kevin Sullivan's, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of Kevin Sullivan's ideas for heat that were shot down by Turner Broadcasting because they were considered uh, not appropriate or too violent. So come up with stuff. Kevin Sullivan, one of the great minds in the business, and uh, it's a shame that we never got to see Eddie Gilbert. Here comes School Board. He is fired up, and this era of School Board is one of my favorites. Like from here forward, I was a big School Board uh, fan. I loved the Michigan uh, singlet. I love the headgear. I love that he's out there just roughhousing dudes. I'm pure power, man. One, one of the more underrated wrestlers. And it, it's funny to see him here tagging with someone not named Scott Steiner. Is it not? Yeah. But you know, this was, uh, as you said, this was when we started to, uh, appreciate Rick Steiner. He had great working punches. He did big time suplexes with power. The fans were behind him. You could see the, the 300 fans here in attendance here tonight. They were behind everything that he did. So, uh, yeah, he was the forerunner of, uh, of obviously the Steiner brothers. And he was tremendous. It's I, 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 I say this all the time. I'm sorry. I just, it blows me away that he's on a school board now. Oh man. I want to see him belly to belly. A parent. <laughs> what I want to do. I feel like I should mention here that Missy Hyatt was uh, new to television. She'd only been in the NWA uh, since February 25th. And this match is actually a rematch from the previous night on WCW Saturday night where Sullivan and Spivey won. They're not going to get uh, a lot of time here because they're trying to get towards our main event. But if Missy Hyatt's out there, you have an idea what the finish might be. Well, she got up on the apron. And now the heat. Uh, and uh, again, here we are with her back to the camera, which just blows me away. I, I don't know. I, I guess my years in the WWE are my years behind uh, the scenes. Uh, and I'm very sensitive to what looks good on TV and what doesn't. But uh, she wanted to come into the ring. She didn't get it at first. And now they got the heat. And now she's back in carrying the purse. Hmm. And here you go. There's the finish. And coming up, you know what's coming up. It's raging Cajun. That's what you're really here for. It's the main event. It's Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. Lots of stuff was edited out of this, but we're going to have plenty of time to talk about that in the main event. And we're going to do that in a moment. But I want to say first, we can't do this justice. You need to go back and watch this again with JR calling it. But first, let's appreciate WCW as they are. R I C K Flair. Oh. He's your oh. challenger. He's the greatest NWA world champion of all time. He gets pyro. He gets a laser show and he gets his name in lights, but it's with a fucking K R I C K flair. Here he comes to the ring looking only he can look in my favorite robe ever. And four ladies here 
color coordinated with him as he struts to the ring. Tony, this is the first time you'd seen this maybe ever, or certainly in a long time. What was your reaction when you saw that they misspelled Ric Flair's name? Well, I think, you know, I put it on pause and I sent you a text. I said, are you, have you seen this fucking show yet? And you said, R-I-C-K Flair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I said, yes. I said, and I told you this, if, if this would have happened in the W, well, it would have never happened in the WWF, but if it would have happened in the WWE, Vince McMahon would have fired everybody responsible for it. Another, everybody, another light show, another pyro show. I mean, extensive amount invested here to make the presentation look big league. But the lighting really takes away from it, and the misspelling makes you think they don't really give a damn. It's like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And now, are you ready for this silly shit, ladies and gentlemen? It says the Drago behind him because they couldn't get the N in there. And there it is. Finally, the N is there. Here's Bonnie. Here's Richie, the baby. And uh, here's your world champion, Ricky Steamboat. How would you describe the get up that they have Richie steamboat in here. Okay. Uh, Richie steamboat is in, uh, a Yoshi get up from, uh, uh, the, uh, Nintendo Mario brothers yeah. yeah, from the Nintendo game. Uh, and, uh, Bonnie's coming out dressed like she's dressed like she's getting ready to get married. As a matter of fact, Bonnie looks like dress. she's, um, from a Disney movie. She's like, yeah. so she's dressed up like Cinderella and, uh, Ricky, the dragon steamboat looks like he's ready to take on Cobra Kai. And, and he's carrying Yoshi with him and he's trying to get Yoshi to like make chopping moves, but Yoshi really just wants to go play Legos and Lincoln logs. And who knows? He could have been crying in the, in that, but, uh, before they took uh, more pyro, uh, more laser show, but there's such a tight shot. You don't even fucking see it. Right. And that's something. Uh, so now, uh, two out of three falls, you know, Bonnie was, uh, from what I understand, and of course, I'm sure there's been plenty written about it. Uh, Bonnie was very much, uh, involved in Ricky's career. Uh, now they goes <laughs> little Ricky, bless his heart. Uh, they take the mask off, but she was very, uh, almost like, Oh wait, they took his mask, mask off. Is Bischoff here yet? <laughs> Why did they take the mask off of him? There's no mystique. That could have been Ray Mysterio. We don't know. Well, I'm glad the video font got Ric Flair right here. Thank God for that. Uh, but yeah, Bonnie was was almost seen by many people like in the, in the backstage area, like I don't know, meddling into his business. So for him to bring her out didn't really surprise anybody here. I would think. Yeah, here we go. We're about to uh, ring the bell here for one of the greatest matches ever. And uh, showing off the world title there is Tommy Young. Is this the uh, the best looking NWA title, the most beautiful NWA title ever? By far. Not my favorite, but the best looking one by far. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's favorite is what you grow up on. But I think it's just, you know, in a vacuum, pretend you don't know the history of any of them. The big gold belt's the most beautiful belt in wrestling. Yeah, by far. You know, I, I, I go back and I, and I watch this match, Conrad, and, and I watch this match because uh, I, well documented back in the archives, I was such a big fan of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling 
And I was watching television when Ricky Steamboat first appeared. It was Richard Blood. Uh, there you see that uh, Terry Funk is helping Jim Ross do the commentary for this matchup. And Ricky Steamboat became Ricky Steamboat. And you could probably find it on YouTube somewhere. You can't find it on the network. There is back, and I believe in like 77 or 78, one of those years where Steamboat, uh, Flair knew that he had something special. And Flair did an angle with him on TV where he dropped the NW or the Mid-Atlantic Television Championship to Ricky Steamboat. And that began, that, that match had such an impression on my life. Uh, that began, one of the reasons I fell in love with wrestling, but also that began a, a great dynamic between these two who really knew how to work with each other and, and were just such good friends and such good workers. I even saw them in a cage uh, wrestle in Greensboro, North Carolina on Thanksgiving Day back in 1981, two years before I started in the business. They went 90 minutes in the cage. Both men were bleeding, and nobody could go 90 minutes like Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. And, uh, and this match so is it, much different than, than a lot of their other matches. They tried to do much more amateur stuff, much more groundwork in this one than they did any of their other matches that made TV, right? Yeah, they, they did. Uh, and there was nothing wrong with that based on what, what is, you know, Ric Flair was always, of course, Rick, and even during this match, you know, Rick controlled the match. He called the match. So he wanted to, you know, start out with a slower pace and, and, and build up to, to a finish. Uh, there's also a story that Ricky Steamboat has told me, uh, and he may have, if you've seen Ricky Steamboat or listened to him, uh, it's a story about he and Ric Flair uh, doing a return match in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, and uh, they did a one-hour Broadway. George Scott was the a booker. They did a one-hour Broadway, and George Scott was going to bring it back now for a 90-minute time limit. And George Scott uh, said, I want you guys to go out, and 25 minutes into it, Flair will go over. And Flair and Steamboat said, okay, we'll do that. So uh, they announced the time limit. 20 minutes gone by in the match, 20 minutes. And Steamboat was thinking, we're going to go home any minute. And Flair said, let's keep it going, kid. And they kept wrestling. He said they went to 45 minutes. Flair said, we're going to keep it going, kid. And uh, they went all the way to the countdown of 90 minutes. 30 seconds to go, 15 seconds to go. And he said Flair reached in or went across, put his foot up on the turnbuckles and pinned me right when they were doing the 10, 9, 8. And he said fans were pissed off and so upset. And as they were laying down on the mat, Flair said to Steamboat, wait for it, kid, wait for it. And the fans almost rioted because they were so mad that Flair had cheated to win right at the 90-minute mark before it would be a time-limit draw. And when they went in the backstage area, George Scott was so mad, he said, you fuckers, next time we're going to do a two-hour time limit, and I'm going to make you motherfuckers go two hours. Just a little inside story of Flair and Steamboat and what they used to be able to do and how they used to be able to work a crowd. I think a lot of people saw the Ric Flair 30 for 30, and... They briefly highlighted his matches with Ricky Steamboat and they had Ricky interviewed and he said, we worked together so often 
that we would know what the other one was thinking and what they wanted to do next without even saying anything. And he, he looks at the camera and says he could just go like this. And he points his eyes up towards the ceiling and, and he says, you know, Rick knew exactly what that meant. Like they just had this, um, understanding and we hear that a lot with wrestlers who work together a lot. Does that same thing exist from your memory with announcers? Like you just know you get comfortable with someone and you don't really even know how to describe it, but you just have that natural timing with them just from working with them over the years. Oh yeah. I, I think I, I think I got that with Bobby Heenan probably more than anybody else because I knew, I, I, I knew where, what spots that Heenan would, would be able to say something or, you know, when we were talking about me and Dusty, I, I thought me and Dusty and Heenan were a great three, uh, three man uh, team. And, and I could, I could almost tell when when it was time for Dusty to talk first after I would say something or time for Heenan to talk first, or I knew that Heenan, when Dusty would say something, it would be a perfect time for Heenan to inject something as well. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree. These guys are putting on a clinic here, and we should remind everybody, I don't know that we've mentioned it yet, this is a two out of three falls match. And it's a rematch from the Chi-Town Rumble, which went down in February in Chicago. Dave Meltzer was front and center for that with uh, Brad Muster of the Chicago Bears. And Rick's wife, Beth, was actually there and handed him some roses and gave him a kiss. A little inside knowledge there. Tommy Young started as your referee, but he had a ref bump in slides. Old peanut head, homie don't play that. And they crowned uh, in a questionable manner, maybe, arguably, Ricky steamboat as the world champion and Ricky had an opportunity to celebrate on camera on the shot town rumble pay-per-view afterwards and uh, got a champagne bath for his troubles. And a lot of people were shocked that he was the champ and the belt came off of Ric Flair and this is the return match and they're doing it live for free on TBS counter programming the WWF. So as far as, Hey, what's our featured match and what should we do to sort of build interest to counter program WrestleMania pretty well thought out plan here. Is it not? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's two of the, it's two of not only the great performance. Look how Simbo can sell here, buddy. I don't and know that's that that's selling that, as much as that's for real. Cause flair is chopping the shit out of him. Yeah, but he's still selling. Yeah, you, you're right. He is. And, and steamboat, you know, steamboat all has told me many stories. And, and one of the stories that he, that he told me was, uh, that, he used to tell Flair, fucking lay it in because I'm going to lay it in. And uh, they used to, quote, unquote, lay it in. Uh, I'll give you another Ricky Steamboat story that I think is, is a phenomenal story that has to do with, with the nature boy, Ric Flair. If I've told this on a version of the archives, Conrad, stop me. Uh, when Flair and Steamboat were first having their feud, and we're talking back in the late 70s, uh, they did this angle where they took Ricky Steamboat Flair being mad at him and would drag hit drug his face around the uh, floor of the studio. And if you've ever been in any of those studios, it's a concrete floor and it's kind of got a little rough edge to it. Uh, and they drug his face around the studio. So to make it look real, they went in the backstage area. Harley race had gone to a hardware store and got some sandpaper. Harley was, was there and Harley took the sandpaper and rubbed off one of Steamboat's eyebrows on that side of the face. Then after he rubbed off the eyebrow, he he grabbed his hair, pulled him back, and punched him in the eye 
to give him a black eye. And then Harley Race said, go out there, kid. I think you look good now. So they brought him out for his interview with, with the eyebrow off and the eye all puffed out, thanks to Harley Race. And that was a young kid being indoctrinated by the old school guys back then. And that was part of If you were growing up, and I know Dick Bourne, if you're listening, you grew up with this. If you saw that angle, that's how Steamboat came to look the way he looked on Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Rumor and innuendo is that Dick Bourne doesn't listen to this show anymore. He listens to J.J. Dillon's podcast. Your response? Yeah, well, you know, what does Dick Bourne do for a living? <sighs> yeah, okay. Does Dick Bourne work for a sleep number bed? Does he work for uh, Soma's? I don't know. <laughs> no, he does. I, th- I believe he does uh, human resources work really? okay. on, on a contract basis for big government contracts. So he can't hurt us at all. We can just motherfuck okay. him. And what's he going to do? Write okay. us up. Yeah. I'm getting ready to text that motherfucker right now. Dick, you are a dick. Tony Schiavone send. Okay. So we'll be hearing from Dick board, but anyway, that's uh, they, you know, if you, if you, if you grew up in middle Atlantic championship wrestling, this was a big deal, man. Look at Steamboat trying to get the win. He got the drop kick. Might as well try it. Uh, and Flair begging off. Just. I feel like uh, this is as good a time of any. I just noticed that the boots that Ric Flair is wearing here um, are a pair of pretty legendary boots that I know a private collector in North Carolina has. And I think this is the same pair he wore to win the Royal Rumble in 1992. Uh, pretty iconic pair of boots. And I've always been fascinated with where some of this stuff winds up. The. Uh, robe that he wore to the ring here i'm still on the hunt for if you have a lead on any rick flair robes by all means send me an email conrad at one fmc.com or hit me up on twitter at hey hey it's conrad i've been chasing that damn butterfly robe of rick's for like 10 years man i can't find it right there we saw a perfect example of rick flair controlling the match he called tommy young in he told Tommy Young what he was going to do. He had Tommy go over and tell Ricky Steamboat to walk in towards me. Steamboat did, and he kicks him in the midsection with the referee's attention somewhere else. So there was a lot of there's some communication going on right now here in the Irish Whip. Obviously, you see that, but there was a lot of communication that was done through the referee. The referee was, you know, let, look, they're a team right here, right? Flair and Steamboat, a three-man a team. team. They're yeah. a three. Damn right, three-man team. Absolutely. They're all part of the show, making you enjoy the match. Great false finishes. Well, well done. I, I just, I absolutely love this. And look, I, I, I'm doing a lot of uh, wrestling now, and it's changed so much. And the fan reaction has now been changed so much. And, and that's one thing we got to talk about, that a match like this back then in 1989, sensational. Fans would not like this today. Wrestling fans, WWE fans that go out and, you know, sing along with uh, Nakamura's song or or with Bobby Roode or all that. They, they would not appreciate something like this. And I, and I think uh, that's why one of the ways the business has changed. Look how Flair sells this. I think this could be appreciated. I don't think it would work on SmackDown, but I think if you ran this on the network, it could be appreciated. Uh, they, they've had some pretty phenomenal matches. Uh, I'm going to show you one. Uh, that they did last year on the network. Uh, it was a couple of, uh, the, from their UK division that I think you'll really enjoy. Okay. I, I just, I just, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I went cold Turkey with the business as fans know for 17 years. Uh, 
I'm back into it now, thanks to you, Conrad. Uh, and I just, uh, I, I just don't see. Here goes, what I used here goes to one see. of the best bumps of all time. One of my favorite flare things. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Bloop. The old flare he, flop. Right. He did that. Uh, he did that a lot. As a matter of fact, as, as the years went on and, uh, a lot of times when I was at ringside, he would walk towards me. He would walk towards me, the, the walk of death, and he would cross his eyes right before he would go, looking at me, crossing his eyes right before he'd go face first, which entertained me even more. Yeah. And that was, you know, I've asked Rick about that on our old podcast together. And he says, you know, as I got older and some of my physical skills diminished, I, what I couldn't do physically, I tried to make up for with comedy. And as long as I'm getting a reaction from you, it's, it's a win. Damn right. Why? Because he can do it because he's the nature boy, Ric Flair. So I noticed you switched gears real fast when I was telling y'all something the robe. Did you find the fucking six man tag? I did not. One of your uh, boys, Dusty finished me on Twitter because I asked, because I knew that you and Lois were not going to be checking Twitter right before the wedding. So I tagged yeah. all your sons and I said, Hey, do me a favor. Uh, after the daddy daughter dance at the reception, we need to get this played. And I played a little Mike Jones for him. And, um, one of the boys said, Hey, I'll get this done, but only if I get to keep this six man tag, I had to dig out of the fucking attic for you. Ah, uh, that was Chris Shivani. who's a shit disturber. Well, he that. is. So I'm yeah, like, I, yeah, I'm like, okay. uh, wandering around the reception. Like, well, I'm getting ready to go. Gonna need that belt. Motherfucker. Yeah. yeah he didn't give it to you. Did he? He's a dick. Yeah, he is. I, I listen, Chris Shivani, uh, God bless him. Yeah. Uh, of the four boys I had the biggest shit disturber ever. Uh, and <laughs> You didn't have to tell me who, which kid it was. I knew which kid it was. Well, it's the wrestling whore, right? I mean, that's the way he referred to you as the wrestling whore. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, boy, I, I raise him well, don't I? So, uh, it, it may be up in the attic. I haven't been up in the attic, Conrad. I'm sorry. I'm used to it. But you know what I think is also up in the attic somewhere? What's that? My format from the final nitro. Oh, we got to find that. What are you doing? I, uh, well, I got things I got to do, man. I got to no, I got to do I got to do my hair, I got to do my nails. I got to make sure my beard's colored, thanks to Just for Men. I just I got to do all that stuff. I'm well, busy. One of the things they're they're telling you about here on the broadcast is that if this show, if this match is running long, they're not going to be able to bring you the other two matches, but they'll bring them to you at a later time. They still happened that night and they did air later on uh, NWA World Championship Wrestling on TV and those were Sting defending his television title against Rip Morgan. That's a main event anywhere in the country. And of mm -hmm. course, Lex Luger defeating Jack Victory when he defended his United States Championship. The matches that were cut out of this broadcast on the network that are not here are Bob Orton working with Dick Murdoch. Uh, we also didn't see uh, Ranger Ross working with the Iron Sheik. And we missed Mike Rotunda and Steve Williams defeating the Road Warriors in a tag team title match. Um, so lots of stuff was cut out of this show, but we're bringing it to you as complete as we can here on the network. Uh, and I, I just, uh, again, the, the matches that, that were basically on the video package were at the beginning that were probably look at Tommy young man didn't have room in the ring. So he goes right down to the apron and makes the, that's great improvisation for Tommy young, but they promoted these matches basically with the video package, at the beginning of this, and they didn't deliver. So it's just showing you that they just, with George Scott running things, they just could not time out a show. And I understand, give them the most, but you could have cut some other matches down. 
he had no interviews to cut. No, that's exactly right. You know, this match is going to go long, of course, with the two out of three falls. Uh, nice little maneuver there. They're taking their time selling it, but uh, this is really classic old school stuff of the trilogy of the three, the one in Chicago at Chi-Town Rumble, this one here in New Orleans at Raging Cajun Clash, and then Wrestle War uh, the following month, May 7th in Nashville. Of the three, which one do you prefer, Tony? Well, I prefer the first one because of, of Steamboat finally becoming the world heavyweight champion. Did you see Ricky Steamboat as world championship material? Absolutely. When he first arrived on the scene in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, I thought he was the next big babyface star. Of course, back then, you know, the world champion was normally a heel that went from territory to territory. Uh, sometimes would drop the strap to a babyface, but not for long. But I, he was the top babyface in the territory. Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, to my feeling, was the top territory in the world. I was biased, like uh, our former friend Dick Bourne. Do you think that him being the champ is the reason this clash didn't do as well? This is the lowest rated clash up to this point. It only did a 4.3 rating, only 5,300 fans in attendance. 25 years later, of course, WrestleMania is going to happen here, and there's more than 75,000 folks there. Do you think it was just the state of the business, the state of the NWA, bad booking, or did people just not get behind Ricky Steamboat? No, it wasn't that people didn't get behind Ricky Steamboat. It was just the state of the NWA back then well i guess we should talk about it because of the the poor performance here the booker george scott was fired a few days after this and um it was said that he even had a gag order on even mentioning the clash as well as the countdown of the clash preview show that happened on friday because a few days before the clash went down um he upset a lot of people within the organization and that sort of sealed his fate with the NWA, uh, TV ratings are at an all time low live attendance is dropping. And after he's fired and out of here, a booking committee is formed. And that's something that you've talked a lot about here. We're probably most synonymous with that phrase of all, of any others, the booking committee and the booking committee oh, coming. There, there really was one motherfucker. Well, I'm saying motherfucker here. They are. The first one was Kevin Sullivan. Eddie Gilbert, Jim Ross, Jim Hurd, Jim Barnett, because we need more Jims, uh, Jim Cornette, and Jody Hamilton. So pretty amazing that lineup of all the Jims, you know, Jim Ross, Jim Hurd, Jim Barnett, Jim Cornette. If your name's a Jim, you're getting a fucking pencil. Jim Cornette eventually would replace Eddie Gilbert on that committee, of course. Um, when you hear that George Scott is out, you're an old school fan. How did you meet that news? Because I was there at George Scott's very first production meeting before I left. I thought it was probably the right thing to do because it had been apparent that the business had passed him by. All right. There's the first fall. Ric Flair wins it. George Scott was hired, uh, because of a recommendation by Jim Barnett. And when George Scott held our first production meeting and it was so disorganized, I never will forget. We're all around the table waiting for him to talk and he wouldn't talk. And he looks up and looks around. And he said, Oh, you guys want me to run the production meeting? Huh? I thought the director is supposed to do that. 
I knew right there from the very first time that that George Scott was sunk. Right. And then uh, Jim Barnett even said after the meeting, he said, I feel really bad because I'm the one that suggested that George Scott come here and be the booker. But basically it was Jim Barnett looking, not worried about the business, worrying about his own ass first. Uh, so I knew that the business had passed him by. I knew it wasn't going to be long term. And so when Vince McMahon called on me, uh, it was <laughs> that was one of the reasons that I think I left because I'm thinking, well, this place is going to go nowhere with George Scott. So when I heard he had been fired, I thought, well, there you go. You know, his brother, Sandy Scott, uh, people don't know, was a good friend, worked in the business, was a promoter, worked hard in the office, was very organized, very good guy. Like Sandy Scott a lot. Sandy worked for the company back then. Also working for the company back then was Gene Anderson of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Uh, and Gene, back at that time, was the guy who walked out and timed the matches. When Gene Anderson walked out of the locker room area and stood in a place to watch the matches, the referee would look up, and they knew it was time to go home. Right. Some old school stuff that kind of uh, you know transferred over to the early days of TBS. Now, notice how this second fall, they're picking up the pace here. Some, like, old-school wrestling stuff, uh, headlock on the mat, but now they're picking up the pace and getting a lot of false finishes and Steamboat after, you know, again, psychology. Steamboat lost the first fall, so now he's got to really kick it into high gear and try to even things up here early. I just I love the psychology. I just, you know, the, the and, again, Tommy Young says the the – the hold is clean. He lets guys know at ringside. They'll know who he's talking to there. Just love everything about it. But uh, back to your point, George Scott. Yeah, it, what worked in the 70s did not work in the late 80s and the 90s for George Scott. Not too long after this, um, there would be talk that Bruce Pritchard might be uh, getting a shot with the NWA. Sorry, his brother Tom Pritchard. Did you, we haven't talked about Tom Pritchard a lot with you. We've made fun of Bruce extensively because we can't. That's because, yeah, that's because you guys make fun of me on your podcast, but go ahead. Chat me up. What was your experience with his brother, Tom? None. No experience with him, just to talk to him. Uh, and uh, very little experience with Tom. Well, let's talk I, about I wish... the matches that we missed then. Um, yeah. After JYD and Butch Reed, that Bobby Orton, Dick Murdoch match. Uh, Murdoch has his foot tripped, uh, during the brain buster and Gary Hart holds the foot for the pin. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of kind of fun, I guess, because meanwhile, on the other station for WrestleMania five, Rick rude wins the intercontinental title from the ultimate warrior with the exact same finish. Uh, <laughs> the, the next match is for the world tag team titles with the road warriors defending against Steve Williams and Mike Rotunda. And I can't believe this isn't here, but the finish actually saw animal accidentally, uh, toss long and, um, doomsday device gets nailed. Teddy won't count. And Williams comes in and rolls up Hawk and Teddy delivers a super fast count because he was tossed and that gives Williams and Rotunda the tag title. So a little bit of a screwy finish for the tag belts here, uh, but I guess they needed to get them off of the road warriors. I, I wonder why, and I'm sure you don't have an answer for this. Why they would cut those out of the, uh, why they they would cut those out of the network here? 
I'm not sure. It is sort of interesting. Maybe it has to do with the music piece and they just didn't think could be, they were necessary. Um, maybe your favorite could be that Randy Orton wanted some more money for uh, his dad being on TV. I don't know. I don't think Randy cares. Okay. Um, next match of course that they cut out was iron Sheik and Ranger Ross. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad they cut that one out. Is that the one where he uh, repelled from the top of the dome? Thank you. Ranger Ross repels from the ceiling. And Sheik does the national anthem before the match and then jumps Ross before the bell. And, uh, Ross eventually hits a super kick, but rip Morgan, the Sheik's flag bearer comes in for the DQ and JYD makes the save. And that paved the way for the main event. Um, hmm. sort of a funny deal here. Cornette has told a funny story about this. He says, George Scott brought the iron Sheik back in and paid him a hundred thousand dollars. And the NWA wasn't pleased with Sheik's in ring work. So they sent him home and forgot him on him. And his contract rolled over for another hundred thousand dollars. Uh, so they brought him back to do jobs, but he was so bad. They just sent him home again. So he's making a hundred grand to be bad, but be bad at home. Wow. Well, that's, uh, you know, that, uh, I'll give you another story about, uh, the NWA, uh, or WCW Turner broadcasting, not knowing what the fuck they were doing. Uh, you know, uh, Colonel Robert Parker of the jump rope Academy is a good friend of mine. And he's working for Major League Wrestling now. He is uh, the manager of the Dirty Blondes, and you'll see him on TV very soon. Uh, he was telling me the story that uh, he was owed money by uh, was owed money by Jim Hurd for being on. You ready for this? Ready. The booking committee. He was on the booking committee. There was a booking committee back then, and he was owed money for it, and they never gave him his money. So. They were he was in with he was in negotiating his contract and talking about the money that he was owed and for some reason a a juiced up steroided up geeked up Sid Vicious came in because he was with him came in and was screaming to Jim Hurd give him his fucking money you owe him fucking money give him his money and uh, Colonel Parker said they only owe me like fifteen hundred bucks so. Heard got on the phone, called in whoever was the uh, the 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 uh, guy in uh, accounting, and the guy in accounting came in and said to uh, said to uh, Colonel Parker, he said, uh, "Would uh, four thousand dollars be fine?" <laughs> and Colonel Parker said, "Yeah, I, I guess." And they only owed him fifteen hundred dollars, so they gave they didn't even ask him how much they owed. They just gave him four thousand dollars, I guess, just to get a steroided up, geeked up Sid out of the office. So that is how it worked in the front office of WCW. My, I, I got to say, if I knew that, I would cut Sid in and we would go repeat that once a month. <laughs> and he'd get two grand and I'd get two grand. It, 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 it probably worked. And uh, a short time after that, Colonel Parker said he's had enough of the booking committee. He just quit the booking committee and still got paid for it for like another year. He just walked out on it. So, uh, one of the old school moves that we don't see enough of the backslide here, I've always been a big fan of the backslide. I know that it doesn't get used enough and and people don't really, um, do this anymore, but man, this was good stuff. Was it not? No, it it was great. And the, and the reaction for flair trying to fight it off and screaming. And and now they're going to take it on the outside really for the first time, because in the psychology of a match, you've got the one fall. But you know that Steamboat now is kind of taking the advantage here 
of this next fall. So what does Ric Flair do? He goes on the outside, and, and I think it all worked out well. I mean, he just – you had the fans here, and, and Ric Flair was the master at it. Tommy Young calling all the action for us. I'm glad we finally get to call the match with Tommy here. Yeah. Tommy Young t-shirt still available at LoisRules.com. I got to tell you, man, I uh, had an opportunity right after your wedding or the next day, I went and ate lunch with Rick and, yeah. uh, he asked about the wedding and he asked about the show and how the podcast was doing and all that. And, uh, he says, are you making any money? And I said, oh yeah, man, we got sponsors. We're selling them some mortgages, but, uh, the most fun thing we're doing is the t-shirt and he made a face like who wants a Tony Schiavone t-shirt. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we're not doing really Tony Schiavone t-shirts. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, remember that time you were in the hotel and you called Shivani to come down and take a look at what was going on in your room. And you answered the door naked with a glass of wine. And he immediately has his eyes bug out and starts making the throat slash. Like, don't finish this story. Don't finish this story. And I show him a picture of the cat bath t-shirt and he's like, you fucking guys are too much. I wear an XL. <laughs> he used to wear a double X before he got fucking old. Yeah. He's, uh, he's lost some weight after last year and he's quit drinking. <laughs> so he's keeping the weight off, but I'm oh. sure he would get a kick out of Parker's jump rope Academy, hot tag express, uh, the role of baloney, uh, yeah. hard to beat. You know, I think he would, I think he'd be into some of those. I did show him flair hit it first and he looked he at me like, yeah what the fuck is that? And I said, it's not for you. And he's like, oh, I know what that one's about. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was good. And I told, I'm going I'm I'm to go see him and I'm going to bring him a t-shirt. Well, I think the one he would appreciate, even though he probably doesn't understand it, is low-key big hog. Okay. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And I think he might like hashtag NFL TG. He would think it looks cool, but you'd have to explain what it was. <laughs> He did, uh, My, he, he did recognize the, I broke Wahoo's leg and damn, I'm right. good. And all those. Right. Uh, by the way, my, my daughter who is, uh, now back from her honeymoon, uh, is, uh, she has a, a machine called a cricket that can make me, uh, bumper stickers and things or stickers for my, uh, my, uh, back window of my car. She's going to make me a hashtag NFL TG, uh, sticker to put on my car. I think we need to sell those at our, at our live events. If we can ever get you to a live event, can you make me a promise right now that you and I can do a live show at least once this year? I'd love to do a live show. I, I just, uh, I don't know what I just, uh, two things, confidence about doing live shows, number one and number two. Uh, just trying to work it into my schedule, but yes, I promise you I will. We should have done one at WrestleMania this week. That's our number one, most requested thing. Why aren't you doing a show with Shivani? And I'm like, dude, it's not my call. It's fucking baseball. Uh, baseball season opens this week. And then the other part, you know, that we get a lot of requests about is, Hey, you're doing a WrestleCade show with Bruce Pritchard. Why aren't you bringing Tony Shivani to North Carolina? I'm like, well, that's the day Georgia plays Georgia tech. It's fucking football. I yeah, I, that's the way it is. And I've worked hard to keep those jobs. And it's not that I don't love you, Conrad. And it's not that I don't love the fans. But I just don't want to be anywhere Bruce fucking Pritchard is. I hear you on that. T tell everybody uh, a time cue here so we can make sure everybody's keeping up with our epic battle between Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. I'm at 140, 14, 15, 16, 
17, 18. Okay? Ric Flair is just picking up Steamboat, and Steamboat flips over the top, rolls him in, rolls him up. One, two, Tommy Young in for the two count, and Flair powers out of it. Steamboat nosedives down. Oh. Well, something we need to mention here is Terry Funk has replaced Michael Hayes on commentary. And the storyline reason is that Funk is the first NWA world champion to defend the title here in the Superdome. But in reality, a month from now, he's going to start a feud with Ric Flair right after he finishes the trilogy with Ricky Steamboat. As a kid, I was much more into the Terry Funk match with Ric Flair than I was these. It took me, I don't know, being a 16 or 17 year old to really appreciate what these guys were doing here. Uh, with Ricky Steamboat of the of the pair, which do you prefer, Flair with Steamboat or Flair with Funk? Flair with Steamboat. I mean, that, that's obvious because of uh, growing up in Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And to be honest with you, I didn't see much of Flair and Funk because that happened like array through 1989, right? Right. Yeah. So I was kind of trying to ignore it. You know what? Uh, have I? Uh, I think I said this. Had I watched this event, uh, I would have probably never gone back to WCW. <laughs> but then again, uh, I was uh, I was in New York the last week and going through LaGuardia, and I remembered why I left the WWE, <laughs> having to deal with that bullshit travel and stuff up there. Wow. It's a different lifestyle, buddy. It ain't Huntsville, Alabama. It ain't Marietta, Georgia. Whew. These guys are having a phenomenal old school match. They're going to go 55 minutes. It's not common. You see a 55 minute match. Um, but these guys are making it entertaining. Although the kids in the crowd, in the background getting a little restless. Yeah. Again, they are. And, uh, they, uh, but, but it's, uh, they, they're, they're do, they'll do some things at times to pay get you pay back attention into it. here. Here you go. He's got a double chicken wing on Ric Flair, Ricky steamboat using a, a submission move that he didn't use a lot. You almost never see Ricky use there. It is Ric Flair submits. This comes at a time when you never really saw Rick submit and you never really saw steamboat even try submissions. So we've got two falls down. Now we're tied at one apiece, one for Flair, one for steamboat Flair reversed an inside cradle to get his pin. And Ricky steamboat earns a submission with a double chicken wing. Pretty rare move at the time. Wouldn't you agree? Very rare. And also look at the fans. They bought it. They reacted to it. They bought it. They were into it. And uh, so very well done. In, in the context, going to go to a break. When do I have our third fall? Uh, in the context of a wrestling match that has gone this length of time, in reality, if you suspend uh, disbelief, you, you really, because <laughs> Flair face first, you really think that a submission hole could come here because they've been wrestling for such a long time. So there's been so much taken out of them. So it was a very believable finish at that time. Let's, uh, let's take some questions that we got right off of Facebook as we are setting up here for our third and final fall of the match. We're in the home stretch here of the match. Um, we asked you, Hey, do you have any questions about clash of the champion six? Here we go. Uh, Adam Floyd wants to know Bruce Pritchard says, Butch Reed was over in Florida, but who was more over in Louisiana, Butch Reed or JYD? JYD was JYD. We mentioned he was the, of Louisiana, mid South wrestling. He was the Hulk Hogan. You saw uh, earlier this week, this match with the original commentary 30 years later, how many stars would Tony give this match between Flair and steamboat that comes to us from Dustin Harris. 
I would give it four stars. Four, not five. Not five, no. It did get five in the Observer. Well, there you go. Jay Morgan wants to know, did all of Flair's valets have fast passes for Space Mountain, or did some get on through the single rider line? No, they all had fast passes on their app. Oh, Flair had apps back then. They had apps, yes. Well, it was called it was called Flair Hit It First. Available <laughs> at rollsrules.com. I love you for that. That is so good. That's why you're the pros. Um <sighs> Earl wants to know, where would you guys rank the Flair Steamboat feud all time amongst other singles feuds? All right. What do you think? I'm I I say it was I'm doing this as a wrestling fan, Conrad, so I'm I'm jaded. Right. Or uh, I'm doing this as a Mid-Atlantic Championship wrestling fan. Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, to me, was the number two feud of all time. The number one feud of all time was Blackjack Mulligan and Rick and Ric Flair. Sorry. Now, are, there's going to be fans out there who say, what? Come on, man. That, that, that can't be right. But, yeah, to me, that was. So I say number two. And I say it as a wrestling fan who grew up in the 70s. I would say this is top five. Definitely. That's a Bruce Pritchard yeah. reference, but top five for sure. Um, I would put rock and Austin ahead of it. I would put Austin okay. and McMahon ahead of it. All I right. might put Hogan macho man ahead of it. Just okay. thinking about feuds through wrestling. Right. I, I think, I, uh, I think sting and the NWO probably ahead of it. Sure. I, I never saw, uh, I never saw, uh, Austin and, and McMahon or Austin and rock never saw any of those matches. Oh, we're watching some of that this year. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what I did see. I saw rock and Hulk Hogan from WrestleMania 18. It was spectacular. Oh, some shit. Wasn't it? Yeah. It was some shit, man. Man, They are chopping the fuck out of each other. If you haven't watched this before, you got to go watch it. And I'll tell you, I would even encourage you to watch this match. If you have a a wrestling person, a fan in your life or a person in your life, who's not a wrestling fan and doesn't understand why you watch. And is like, Oh, it's all silly horse shit, blah, blah, blah. We've all got people in our life who sort of discount our wrestling fandom. You should make them watch this match. Uh, a couple of notes here about, uh, the, the, uh, the storyline being developed here. If you'll recall when they first started this match 50 minutes ago or whatever, they chopped each other. Yep. And now they're back to doing it again, but they're back to doing it again after each has a fall. And each are kind of spent. So it means a little bit more and it gets the fans into it. I, I just, it just, uh, yeah, maybe four stars is wrong. Maybe four and seven eighths of a star. Thank you for that. Okay. Seven eighths. I had to take off an eighth of a star, Dave Meltzer, because of the lighting. Well, and nobody's Japanese. Right. Exactly. That, that's your but move. That's your, that's your go-to. Right. And, and here now the fans are getting, look, fans standing up on the, on the other side, because that motherfucker's cheating. He's he's holding the with the middle turnbuckle his 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 foot, and that's going to give him the advantage. And the fans kind of got into that stuff. Chop the shit out of him. Steamboat selling yep. his ass off. You know, one of yep. my favorite things about an old school Ric Flair match like this is the way he would use the ropes for leverage. I don't remember that anybody did it as well as him. He's the person I remember doing it the most when I was a kid and being so mad. And I totally bought that. Oh, he's doing that for leverage. He's cheating. As an adult, it's like, that's some silly shit. But as a kid, it was fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. 
some more questions here, uh, from, right. tw- from Twitter and Facebook. And this is a great question here, Stuart. Thank you for this. Has Tony gotten in the goddamn attic yet to get Conrad his fucking belt? I have not. I think we mentioned that. God oh, damn it. did we? Okay. I uh, will wait. Hello. Oh, I, I can't say God damn it anymore. My daughter admonished me for it on the wedding. Uh, she ain't fucking listening. Eric wants to know which match did Tony think was better flair steamboat or savage Hogan. And if given the chance, which one would he have wanted to commentate? Well, I think obviously I think it was a flair and steamboat and I would have loved to have commentated this one. I really would have. Matt wants to know, where would you rank this on your top flair matches of all time? Uh, let's see. Uh, it would be number probably huh, it'd be top five. No, it'd be top four actually. What were the other three? The, uh, the greatest one I ever saw was Flair and Blackjack Mulligan, Greensboro Coliseum. Uh, the second greatest Flair match I ever saw was Flair and Steamboat, 90 minutes in the cage at the Greensboro Coliseum. Uh, and I'm trying to think what would be three. This could be number three. Absolutely. Or probably maybe the uh, the one from Chicago right before this. Where would the match with Vader at Starcade 93 be? Uh, I, geez, I have to go back and look at it again. Well, maybe it hasn't registered with me. We're going to do that this year, boys and girls. I know we've had lots of questions about, Hey, when are you covering that one this year? Yeah. Uh, Again, here it is. And here it is for you. And here is the crux fans. I, I appreciate all of you being in the slapdick nation. Many of you said Tony Schiavone doesn't remember shit, but isn't it funny that Tony Schiavone remembers almost everything about when he was a fan. But when it comes to when he worked in the business, he doesn't remember that much. That's because as a fan, you're more impressionable. And you remember shit a lot more than when you worked in the business and you were cranking shit out on a daily basis. You don't understand it. I get it. You don't understand it. But if you worked in the business like I did, you would understand it. Anybody who's been in the business, I've talked to guys a lot who have been in the business the length of time that I have. And I say, do you remember that? And they'll go, no. Well, here's the thing, Tony. And and to your point, I think a lot of fans, you know, take for granted that sometimes when you're so concentrating on cranking out good content, once it's done, it's done. And you're, it's sort of in the rear view mirror. At that point, we have fans who discover our podcast for the very first time, all the time, DM me or ask me on Twitter. Hey, what episode did you first start talking about this? And obviously this didn't happen 20 years ago. This is less than 20 months ago. And I'm like, fuck, I don't know. You right. know, it was just because we've done so many shows since then. And once I'm done with the show, I sort of just, I'm putting it down and I'm on to the next one. Like I got to do research for next week and I got to worry about what I need to watch this week for next week. And I can't imagine 20 years later that gets any easier. Right. So what I'm saying is the, the matches that I remember Ric Flair doing and the angles I remember Ric Flair doing stand out with me more back when I was growing up and was a Mid-Atlantic Championship wrestling fan, which was much longer than 30, 25, 29 years ago when I was in the business. So uh, that's the truth. Jared and, and now, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. Go to Jared. Uh, who are your favorite opponents for Rick to work with? Besides Ricky Steamboat and Blackjack Mulligan, who else did you like? I liked uh, like when Flair and, and Greg Valentine were tag team champs and worked a program with the Anderson brothers. I thought that was absolutely tremendous. Uh, I liked uh, I liked Flair and Hogan. And I'll tell you why I like Flair and Hogan because Flair was such 
a great worker. What he did, he made Hulk even look even better than he was. I, I like those. And I think that back then, that's what we all wanted to see, uh, Hogan and Flair. And we eventually got to see it probably a little bit after we should have. But I think that's what we wanted to see. I, I like that run as well. Daniel wants to know, where does the Varsity Club rank amongst factions in Crockett and WCW? Uh, it wouldn't be top five. <laughs> I would agree. Chris, yeah. Chris wants to know, what was the backstage talk about this show on the WWF side? Was there any buzz in the locker room about the Flair Steamboat match? Uh, no, no. And, and, and here I want to tell you uh, Tony Schiavone's uh, story about being in the WWF. Tony Schiavone was... You like me talking about myself in the third person? I do. It's great. Okay. Tony Schiavone was more involved in the backstage area back in the Crockett days and in, in WCW than he was in the WWF. In the WWF, I was not that much backstage with the boys. I, you know, I traveled with Vince. I traveled on his private plane, and I was more of kind of an office guy when I was there. Uh, but I, I do think, and of course, you know, Howard Finkel and I were pretty good buddies back then. Howard thought it was a tremendous matchup. I had heard it was a tremendous matchup, although I didn't watch it. But Jr. mentions during this uh, commentary that uh, the w uh, WCW will be going to New Haven, Connecticut for the first time ever coming up. And uh, Finkel and I went to that show. And I think Bruce Pritchard went with us, too, as well. We were the WWF guys that were scouting the opponent. Connor wants to know. Was Tony ever humbled by the Iron Sheik? <laughs> no. Entertained, yes, but not humbled. He never put you in the camel clutch, broke your back, and fucked no. your ass? No, they okay. never did that. Nor did he say, fuck the Shivani. He never did anything like that. Can we call him and get him to do a liner for our show where he says, fuck yeah. the Shivani? Fuck the Shivani, yeah. I, I think I got an email here. That would be you tremendous. Have a, you have a way to contact him? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you just, well, I'll tell you, later. you know, we, we first started doing this podcast. Uh, they, uh, the Sheik's people got in touch with me, wanted me to come up to Toronto and do a show with him. Well, why didn't you? Oh, fucking uh, baseball. That had a baseball game. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Kurt wants to know, was it Turner execs or someone in the NWA WCW that would name these clashes? Number four being seasons beatings was always my favorite. Yeah, that was somebody in Turner. That we we left that to the great uh, folks at Turner Home Entertainment to come up with that silly shit. Well, let me give you some names. Are you ready? Yes. The first one was just Clash of the Champions, so that's easy. Right. But then it was Clash of the Champions two, Miami Mayhem. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up, Dusty Rhodes name. Best one ever. Clash of the Champions three, Fall Brawl. Obviously that caught on, so that's got to be thumbs up, right? Right. Number four, Seasons Beatings. Well, I have to give it a thumbs down because it sounds stupid, but I have to thumbs in the middle. Can I do that? St. Valentine's day massacre on February yeah. 15th. What'd you think? Yeah. Thumbs down. Raging Cajun. Yeah. Thumbs down again. Guts and glory. Hmm. Well, that was because they were in Fort Bragg, right? For that one. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thumbs up. Fall brawl. 89. Yeah. New York knockout. Okay. Thumbs up. I like the sound of that. Texas shootout. Yeah. Thumbs down. Coastal crush. <laughs> thumbs, thumbs down. Sounds like a drink at a bar. Mountain madness. 
thumbs fucking down. Thanksgiving thunder, which sounds like something you do to your toilet that evening. <laughs> thumbs down. I've had some Thanksgiving thunders. I know you had to Dixie dynamite. Oh, no. Thumbs down. Knoxville, USA. Not thumbs down. Fall brawl. The 20th anniversary. Thumbs up. The Shivani drip. <laughs> Two thumbs up at lowestrules.com. Shivani drip available now. Of course, Ric Flair did a rap video earlier this year with Offset and Metro Boomin from the rap trio Migos. And I believe that video has something silly like 60 million views now. And the name of the song, Ric Flair Drip. And we sort of freestyled last week on our wedding episode that Matt Shivani was actually the very first Shivani Drip. So we sort of uh, parody the Ric Flair Drip design. And uh, now we have a Shivani Drip for What Happened When with Tony Shivani and Conrad Thompson. Have you heard the Ric Flair Drip song? I have no idea. If it's a rap song, Conrad, or a hip-hop song, uh, the odds are I haven't heard it, and it's not that I just haven't heard it. No. Why not? Well, I'm not a fan of that genre. You don't like you don't like when your friends do well. I like when my friends do well, is but it, I just don't like that genre. That's it in your deal. Now, now if Jason Aldean would do a Ric Flair song or. Uh, uh, you know, somebody in country music would do that, or even some old school R and B. You know, like the uh, like you, the Temptations. You don't like this beat right here. What's that? You don't like that beat right there? No, it's not for you. Not for me. But he's coming to your best part though. I mean, you don't like that. Uh, no. Ric Flair, drip, go woo on a bitch. I feel like you should be singing this. <laughs> yeah. Ric Flair, drip, go woo on a bitch. My God. My God. Not your jam? I think this would be like your deal. Uh, we're, make, we're making shirts based on this. You need to get with it, Tony. All right, let's have somebody do a Shivani drip uh, rap song. You want what now? Here you go. We should have, let's have somebody do a Slap Dick Nation rap song. We could do that, actually. I'm pretty sure yeah. we could make that happen. We got some hip-hop fans who listen to our song. I mean, it's in our shows. I'm sure we could get somebody to do a Slap Dick Nation. Right. Anyway, this song is uh, blowing up for Rick, and I mean it's platinum already. It's gonna platinum? be double platinum. Is he seeing some money from it? Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't he? Well, hell, let's do one tomorrow. <laughs> Cause you're a wrestling whore. Woo! I mean, this feels like this should be like your ringtone. All my ringtones are Star Wars. Yeah. I think you should be into this. Well, it, it it's growing on me. Put it that way. All right. Like gonorrhea grew on Klondike. <laughs> yeah, they got in his eyes. 
Right. Got in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Got in his eyes. Hey, right. so since we're talking about gonorrhea, let's talk about Bonnie Steamboat. Uh, who thought it would be a good idea to have her on the show? She did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. And that was all they needed. <laughs> so if you haven't already, uh, go watch the Ric Flair drip music video, ladies and gentlemen from offset and Metro Boomin. Uh, I think it's Tony Schiavone's new ringtone. <laughs> all right. Maybe so. We're what am I going to do with my Darth Vader ringtones? We're home my- stretching here. Our world champion, Ricky Steamboat celebrating that he's finally been able to get Ric Flair down flares in the corner, begging off and steamboat is fired up. Take some athletes with some great cardiovascular conditioning to do things like this. Conrad, I'm telling you that you can push the weights all you want to get toned up, but you got to get on the stairmaster to be able to go this far. Yeah, we're getting close to the finish here. As a matter of fact, going to happen on this side of the ring uh again uh, I, I can't put over enough tommy young's ability uh tommy see tommy spent his see how he reacts how spent he is yep just that's good shit man great referees you know great referees uh, react with the match and i can't put that over enough but of course steamboat can sell flair was a master at, at calling a match and by this time, I'm thinking, well, we got about uh, six minutes or so to go in the show. I'm thinking about this time. Gene Anderson has made his appearance outside. Tommy Young has probably told him to go home. So we're getting very close here. Usually when Gene came out, you had about three minutes to go home. Flair with a little, ooh, fans react to it a little bit. Man, good stuff. Steamboat just with all his power that he's got left, all his reserve that he's got left is just, here's one of the great flare spots, right? Up on the top, shaking his head no. Got to get them all in. This one, the first star, the second fall for him. And now this is going to end up being, here it goes, one, two, Three, who won the thing? Flair had his foot across the rope and calls for the bell and he raises Ricky Steamboat's hand. Kind of an unclear finish here because you saw the foot on the rope. Both shoulders kind of looked down, but it was, as they're going to show the replay over and over again here, it was Ricky Steamboat who had Flair's shoulders down. And now Steamboat, I guess, is calling for his family to come in, maybe. I'm not sure. Flair telling Tommy Young, my foot was over the rope. Tommy didn't see it. And now they're going to do a long interview here afterwards to close out the show, which, uh, again, they're going to end up doing about, I guess, about a five-minute interview. Here's a look at uh, some of the action once again, as they're going to end up doing about a five-minute interview to close out a show to show you how mistimed the whole fucker was. Uh Flair from the top, they go to the finish that one Steamboat, the second fall, and now we're going to see very clearly here in just a moment why Steamboat got the win. 
was kind of unclear really at the beginning. With Klondike Bill watching on, there is Flair's shoulders are down, his foot is over, and Steamboat's shoulders were down first, really, but Flair was what Tommy Young saw. Well, did you enjoy that? I did enjoy it. I thought it was a great match of the three. I still think I like Nashville the best. I know you, and I even believe Ric Flair like the Chicago version the best. But for me, uh, the Nashville one is my favorite. But there you go. Part two of one incredible trilogy. And we see a promo for what will be part three. They haven't yet announced that here, but it's Wrestle War 89 coming your way on May the 7th from Nashville, Tennessee. Here's and our now Jim Ross in the back talking to the world champion, the the Dragon Ricky Steamboat. And Ricky, another controversial winning with George Scott booking. But again, you get the win. And congratulations to you. We've got about four minutes here to close up this show. Well, Jim, thank you very much. I'd like to thank that. I'd like to thank the fans. I'd like to thank Bonnie for coming out. I'd like to thank Bonnie for coming up with the finish of this match. I'd like to thank Ric Flair for uh, putting me over once again. And I'd just like to say that uh, I love wrestling. I don't necessarily like world championship wrestling because, as we all know, Jim Hurd is fucked in the head. He wanted to put me in the ring uh, with Norman the Lunatic. And I said, no, I wouldn't do that. Then he said, why don't you go in the ring in a handicap match against the Ding Dongs? And I said, no, I'm not going to do that either. And then he said, what about the fucking Candyman? And he said, no, I want to go in the ma- in the ring with the nature boy, Ric Flair. It may have been a controversial finish, but we gave the fans exactly what they paid for. At least the 300 that were here who paid, we gave them exactly what they deserved. Now we've got to look at our company. We've got to look at our company. Yeah. Well, let's take a look. Uh, once again, we'll go back to the video replay, uh, and take a look exactly what happened here in the closing moments of this match. And Rick, if you will help me commentate over what went on, uh, do we have the tape yet? Where the, where's the fucking tape? How long does it take to re-rack a fucking... Oh, there we go. Woo. All right, Rick, you got him in the chicken wing, and you got him in the submission hold once again, and you hoisted him up. As you can see, he is bulging. You can see Space Mountain right in the tights. Tommy Young calling the one, two, three. You had his shoulders down. The question is, was his foot over the rope? And that's what everybody wants to know, Dragon. Was his foot over the rope? Let's take a look at another angle, and let's call in Conrad Thompson from Huntsville, Alabama, to give us his two cents on this. Conrad, was the foot over the rope? The foot was uh, under the rope. He shouldn't Uh, have counted three. I'm going to say that uh, this is something we're going to have to hold up, Mr. Shivani. We need a rematch. Yeah, of course you would say that because you're getting ready to be part of that family. Fucking... Well, his foot's jaded. touching it, you fucking old blind fucker. <laughs> you jaded opinion. All right. Uh, that's from Conrad Thompson. Uh, I got in my ear that we're going to try to show the replay one more time. I also got in my ear that, believe it or not, we've got about two minutes still to go in this fucking show. Does Jim Ross look like he's doesn't want to be there or what? Well, I mean, he's probably not exactly sure what the fuck you guys are doing. Well, you got, you're not there. But he's right. wondering... How the fuck am I here? And Tony Schiavone's at WrestleMania. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm at uh, Trump Plaza. Oh, here's Atlantic what City. Her. Oh, Conrad Thompson. Her. <laughs> Flair's buddy, right? Suspect at best. Goddamn old Tony Schiavone got mad at the money they's offering him. So now that some bitch is at WrestleMania. And I'm here with Pop and Drape and a motherfucking fake dragon 
done beat the nature boy in front of, I don't know, about one seventeenth capacity crowd here in New Orleans. When I was here before, when me and old cowboy had to book her, we had these motherfuckers hanging from the rafters. They can't get 6,000 motherfuckers in here. Well, paper, you hear me? We can't paper 6,000. Got goddamn Michael P.S. Hayes thinking he can do what I do. Make his big old ass get up there and moonwalk a little bit. Maybe that'll draw some money. Why ain't JYD in the main event with Dr. Death? That'd have sold them out. That'd have had them hanging from the rafters. But no, gotta put her old flair in there. That's what we need. Somebody's gonna show their dick again. Old flair in there. And old Bonnie Steamboat out here parading around her son like a goddamn dragon. Meanwhile, Shivani's at fucking WrestleMania. So long, folks. Thanks for saving that one for us. <laughs> Her. Her. You started doing that. First thing I thought of was, I never heard Steamboat go. Her. <laughs> Steve going her. Oh, he's doing JR. Oh, thank God. That was a look. Hey, this match saved everything. Oh, it it was a horrible show up until that point. And then the main event was the main event and and flair does what he does. And he put on one hell of a main event and save the, save the whole show here. But the big winner, of course, on this night was Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. They hit a home run and we tried to hit a home run for you, but we know how to end the show. And so they had a video package to end their show. And we're going to have a package on our show. Ooh, Ooh, commentary ninja ready with Yoshi and Ricky dragon steamboat. No, not that Yoshi. Action champions, Raging Cajun, it sucked. What happened when Tommy Young, you come over here, you jerk off barbarian, easy way, hard way, your choice, Ric Flair, Tony Schiavone, baby's arm, ooh, it big glitcher gimmick it sucked mortis rap the gimmick sucked too Medusa swing swing tadpole she's a babe she's magically babelicious she tested very high on the stroke ability scale Oh, you're right. Conway Thompson. What happened when? Fools pitch it. Used to suck. He now big, big podcast champion. You know, you and Conrad Thompson suffer from a disease called juvenile humor. Oh, oh, commentary ninja in trouble. That's right. You get your commentary ninja ass out of my kitchen. Well, they say Lord's rules. Damn right she does. 
and t-shirts available at LosRules.com. This is Old Commentary Ninja saying once again, I'm not fucking leaving. The show goes on. This is my home. They're going to need a fucking wrecking ball to take me out of here. Promotional consideration paid for by LoisRules.com. Get your t-shirt now. The wedding's over, but the t-shirts are red hot. Also by MLW Fusion. Coming to the BN Sports Network April 20th on Friday nights. And by Jamie Kellner. Bend over, Turner Broadcasting. He fucked you in the ass and cost you billions of dollars. Fans, the tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time. We'll see you next week on What Happened When on the MLW Radio Network. (laughs) I'm too old for this shit.